Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Oh dear, we are in trouble, aren't we? Just as when I turned up. Doctor! Where did you spring from? Now, don't tell me. Corporal Benton, isn't it? Sergeant Benton, now. How do you do, my dear? Nice to see you. I haven't seen you since that nasty business with the Cybermen. All those years ago. Christian, how did he get in here? Well, it's a bit difficult to explain, Joe. He's not one of them, is he? Well, not so much one of them as one of us. One of me, to be precise. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, my dear. I hate to be contrary, but I see he's a little bit confused, poor old chap, and I do feel you should have the correct explanation. You don't mind, do you? Yes. You see, Joe, I may call Welcome you Joe. to the Colton Collective Podcast. You see, now, he is one of you. Here are your hosts. Oh, I see. You're both landlords. Well, quite. Well, not, not just time lords. We're the same time lords. Please, you're only confusing my assistant. Joe, it's all quite simple. I am he, and he is me. We are all together, Google. <laughs> there you go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. And uh, he is not one of me. Um, he's a lot older, and uh, he's not the first by any stretch of the imagination. But he was probably around at the same time as the first. It's Mr. Dave AC. Did any of that make any sense? No. Yeah, cuckoo chew. Yeah. <laughs> it's very aimful. Are you one of them or one of us, Ian? <laughs> Uh, one of us, one <laughs> of us. <laughs> well, let's see who, else, see who else is joining in and being one of us today. Joining us on audio, Mr. Dar Skeptical is here. Hello, Dar. Hello, good sir. How are you? Not too bad at all. Not too bad at all. Also joining us on audio, hopefully for the entire show. Oh, we'll give him give him grief for it after the show. It's Mr. Randolph. Oh, hello, Mike. Oh wait, what does this what does this button do? Hello, everyone. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh don't go, don't go. <laughs> and lastly, but not least, the on audio. Yes, we've got a small audio presence today, but it's it's a good presence. Mr. Rick Wall is here. Hello, Rick. What did I do now? <laughs> Oh, hello, hello. We'll think of something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll pin something on you by the end of the show. That's for sure. <laughs> right. Well, that's all of us on audio. Let's lower the cone. Controls. New agent training program. Section 3.5. The cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? 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 All right. Joining us under the cone today, Mad Hal's here, and joined by Cybob. So thank you guys for holding down the cone. All right. 
There's only one more person to introduce from the Colton Collective, and that's our very own Typing Monkey. It's news time. Go, go Typing Monkey, monkey go. go! I never get to say it. <laughs> <laughs> and I beat him. <laughs> anyway. All right. First up with news, it's Mr. Dave AC. Okay. Um, well, simple news, but uh, in something nonetheless. It's That's the, why I went with uh, you Doctor first. Who. Yeah, well, exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I thought you actually went because it had the word experience in the title and you thought, there's an experienced hand, we can give him that job. Doctor Who experienced is to be revamped. Not me, Doctor Who experienced. Yep, Friday, June the 13th was the announcement on uh, reported on DoctorWhoNews.net. Uh, the experience in Cardiff uh, is to be rebranded to bring it up to date with the arrival of the 12th Doctor this autumn. The exhibition will close its doors for six weeks from the 1st of September for the exhibits to be updated and uh, uh, reflected uh, to reflect the new Doctor. So uh, they may be going to the, uh, a certain auction, but may not be. So if you're somebody like Tim who likes to go to Cardiff every few months to uh, look at the locations. Um, Doctor Who Experience will be closed for six weeks from the 1st of September. Mm. 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 Yeah, so stay tuned for that. See what they're going to be unveiling next. All right, next up with news, Mr. Dar Skeptical. Well, kind of a lot of news, but we'll start off with uh, a box office report because uh, we are in the middle, after all, of the heaviest uh, time of the year for cinema. And a couple of things that are a little bit weird with the box office this time around. Um, one thing that is of note to us because we like things science fictional is that Tom Cruise has sort of missed uh, with Edge of Tomorrow, which is weird because Edge of Tomorrow is probably about the best reviewed movie that Tom Cruise has been in in a while. Um, it is quite a satisfying watch, but for whatever reason, it got knocked out um, by a groundswell of support for, um, of course, The Fault in Our Stars, a sort of uh, romantic comedy that uh, has a bit of a tragic edge to it. Um, that probably happened because the book on which Fault in Our Stars is based is wildly popular among kids. And what's great about Fault in Our Stars is that sort of unlike the vampire um, trilogy, or I don't even know if it is a trilogy, The uh, what, which one am I thinking about? The Stephanie, what's her name? What does that say? Twilight. 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 Yeah, yeah, there you go. You, you don't tend to find many detractors of the original property here and and not just the original property but the the uh, translation into screen both have been hailed as really good things so if you're looking for a a great property that is based on a great book for young adults you really can't do much better than the fault in our stars which is you know depending on the age that you are you might see it as sort of I don't know, Brian's song, if you're really a little bit older, Brian's song is in this sort of vein, uh, or maybe Rudy, if you're a little bit younger. It's it's one of these movies that comes along every once in a while that is great and heartfelt and has a bit of a tragic edge to it, and yet at the same time leaves you feeling really good about life and humanity and, well, everything, really. So, um, interesting Somebody. that... that mm, sorry, go ahead. Yes, somebody on another um, um, podcast uh, has a saying: "Don't bet against kids' movies or or teenage movies." 
That's very true. Um, because there's a built-in sort of fandom that was already there with uh, Fault in Our Stars that was just ready to explode. Um, but the, again, the great thing is it is actually a quality movie, so don't shy away from it. It's great. Um, also, just don't shy away from Edge of Tomorrow, even though it has failed. And even if you don't like Tom Cruise, because it really is – if you like science fiction, it's cool. I mean, it is a great sort of science fiction film. It just has missed its mark. Um, when, um, sorry, go ahead. I was saying I'm supposed to see. I was supposed to go and see it this weekend, but if it's still in the cinemas, I'm going to see it next Saturday. And I've just watched mm. on Blu-ray one of his early ones, um, Oblivion, which I quite enjoy. Yeah. Uh, so it, you know, Tom Cruise is one of those actors, at least for me, who sometimes he is in good stuff and sometimes he isn't. But this is one of the ones where it is actually really good. So see that even though it's been eclipsed by other movies. One thing that also has been eclipsed this week in the film is uh, Spider-Man 2, which was uh, the reigning Marvel film of the year in terms of the amount of money it generated. It got knocked off its perch by uh, X-Men Days of Future Past, which also is another incredibly well-reviewed movie. Um, it's sitting at, I guess, 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, so well worth your time to go and see. Uh, in the world of uh, Doctor Who, lots of things have, are actually sort of happening, um, but more in the vein of people getting awards, plans being set, that sort of thing. Uh, first up, we should note that uh, Peter Capaldi, our incoming doctor, uh, has won the first RTS Scotland Award. That's the... Um, Royal Television Society, but the Scottish branch. So Royal Television Society, like the BAFTAs, have individual country-level branches in the United Kingdom. And he has gotten a sort of general award for contributions to Scottish um, television. The reason, of course, that he's getting a general award is that unlike any other actor who's played uh, the Doctor before, he has sort of an equally and maybe even better career behind the scenes than he does in front of the camera uh, because, of course, he's an Oscar-winning director and writer. Um, so lots of uh, – it's great to see him getting a, a broader award and actually getting the first award of this kind um, in Scotland, especially on the eve of his um, arrival as the Doctor on television screens. Uh, and some other people that are getting awards, uh, this is, of course, the Queen's official birthday, or at least it was, what, yesterday? Is it the 14th or some? It's around the 14th of June is the official birthday. And, of course, on the, her official birthday, the Queen having both an official and a real birthday, um, the uh, birthday honor list is put out, and that's when you get to find out who the new knights are, who the new members of the British Empire are, that sort of thing. And two newly awarded MBEs are for John Barrowman and Julie Gardner. Um, of course, Julie Gardner, the other half of the main production team that brought back Doctor Who. Uh, Russell T. Davies already having gotten his award some years ago, I think right upon his exit from Doctor Who in 2009. Julie Gardner uh, has had to wait until now, um, but nevertheless, great to see the other half of that team being recognized, um, and it makes her the second, uh, well, let's see, I guess it does make her still the second woman from the production team to get a um, an honor, though, of course, it doesn't make her the most decorated. The most decorated would still be Verity Lambert, who... Um, died an OBE, not an MBE. So this is the more junior of the two awards. 
And um, Berriman, uh, it's interesting though. Her her particular award is great because it, it recognizes something that is um, understood by some people, but not by everybody. And that is the extent to which the decision to put Doctor Who in Wales was important to the revitalization of sort of the broader Welsh economy. Um, because her, her specific award is not really for film, it's for um, economic revitalization of Wales, which is true because, the, I mean, the, the knock-on effect of um, starting Doctor Who and Doctor Who being successful in Wales and then therefore attracting other television shows to come in and, you know, some of those would be Life on Mars, which she would have been a part of in the initial stages, um, and Merlin and some other stuff on, on which she would have played a, a, a vital behind-the-scenes role. She really is important to um, the development of the economy of Southern Wales, uh, which is great for her because just like Russell T. Davies, she is herself also Welsh. Um, and indeed, I think she's South Welsh. Um, but of course, the irony is that's no longer where she works because she's now living in California, um, heading up uh, BBC's sort of scripted drama uh, programs in the United States. Uh, but it's great to see her recognized. I really think that's fabulous. And then John Berriman, of course, winning as well. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure why he won. Um, that sounds terrible. I don't mean it like that. What's, I've been looking for clarification. I think it's to do with charity uh, work a lot. It, it may be because he does do quite a, uh, um, a large amount of charity work. Um, but that's great. I mean, I'm glad that he has won an award. I mean, he's, he's definitely a good ambassador for a number of different things, a number of different causes, obviously. So good stuff. Um, and that makes him, I think that makes him one of the few, uh, people who is more or less, well, it makes him one of the few people in, uh, as an actor in Doctor Who, who, who's gotten an MB. There are obviously some other people who have gotten OBEs. I mean, we can think obviously of, um, well, I, I mean, I should say one of the few people who got a, 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 an award after having first appeared in Doctor Who. A, a number of people came to Doctor Who already having had, you know, being a member of the British Empire or the Order of the British Empire or even, uh, you know, as in the case of Diana Rigg, a dame. Um, and that is to say a knight. Uh, but I think he's one of the few people who first appeared on Doctor Who and then got some sort of royal award, which is pretty cool. Um, and then some other minor news that maybe is sort of pro forma at this point, but uh, it has been confirmed this week that BBC America will indeed be showing Doctor Who on the same day and date as um, BBC One. Um, Australia, ABC, that is to say the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, has also sort of announced that they are at least showing it in August. But of course, because of the time difference, my guess is that means that they're going to be showing it effectively the same day and date, except that it, you know, will be the next day, you know. Um, but it is more or less, you know, they couldn't show it on Saturday because when it's Saturday in Britain, it's already Sunday in the in Australia. So they're along for the ride as well. Uh, and there's going to be a massive launch, apparently, of 
Doctor Who this time around, in that there's going to be what they're calling a, a world a world tour, in which uh, Jenna Coleman and Peter Capaldi are going to literally go around the world to major capitals and launch the show with uh, theatrical, that is to say, cinematic performances of at least the first episode, maybe the second one, because traditionally they've done first and second episodes when they've had these initial theatrical screenings. They're going to go um, to uh, New York again, obviously. That's where they've done it now since the start of the Matt Smith era. Um, But then the, the exciting thing to me is that they're going way far afield. They're going um, to Australia. They're going to, um, and, and by Australia, I mean Sydney. And they're going also to Mexico City and Rio de Janeiro. And I'm really excited about these two Latin American stop-offs because it shows that Edward Russell, who's the brand manager for Doctor Who, um, has is now seeing the fruition of a lot of his work because he's been really focusing, along with BBC Latin America, uh, to um, push interest in Doctor Who and a, n- a number of other hot BBC properties in Latin America. And I think it shows a lot of respect for the growing Brazilian community of Doctor Who fans, especially to stop off in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, also because Rio is a hot property for this year and, and indeed for the next two years to come at least, you know, because this year World Cup obviously is happening now in Brazil and then the Olympics coming up in 2016. I think it's great to, again, confirm the importance of Brazil and Rio in particular. Um, And I think it's going to be very exciting for a ton of Doctor Who fans that, you know, we in North America don't look at that much. But in fact, there's a massive, massive uh, British contingent that really will be stoked by this uh, particular thing. And the Mexico City thing is an interesting stop-off as well. We know that there are a lot of Spanish fans of Doctor Who. um, And certainly there are a lot of Argentinian fans as well. Mexican fans, though, um, have tended to be eclipsed by these two other pillars of the Spanish-speaking community. So it's great that uh, they're stopping off in Mexico City and giving our southern neighbor uh, a nice little hit of publicity as well. Uh, and I think what's interesting is, you know, the um, the twelfth, the eleventh Doctor started off with a a tour as well. You may remember they went on this bus tour of the United Kingdom, and I think it just shows something of the expanding nature of the Doctor Who empire that now it's not really a bus tour anymore. It's a freaking world tour with, you know, jets. And we are actually doing a little bit more than stopping off in somebody's school in the middle of Salford. Sorry, Dave, to pick on a particular town. But um, well, I think yeah. being the fourth doctor going to, into a school in Ireland, and that was considered big news. But that was a, yeah, that was a big deal then, you know. But it, it's yeah. great that we're, we're showing now some chops and, and that BBC is leveraging its partners in various other regions of the world. I think this is maybe the most exciting news of the entire uh, week and maybe even, you know, for this entire period between, uh, you know, the 50th anniversary and the start of the new series. Um, Cause it just, it, it's, it's really classy. I'm, I'm, I hope that they shoot a lot of video of it. I hope that we get to see what some of the reaction was like, because I tell you, I've seen some, some footage from a recent, uh, Spanish sci-fi, that is to say the sci-fi channel or SIFI or whatever you want to call it these days, um, 
you know, they are the major carrier of Doctor Who in Spain, and they held their annual convention this year, and the reaction and the, the amount of people in, I think it was, I think it's Madrid where they hold the conference, um, just thousands of people watching the Day of the Doctor on an outside screen, big, huge screen. And it's great to see, you know, people in non-English-speaking countries really enjoying this property now in a, in a massive and public way. So I think this is a really exciting addition to the the marketing strategy for Doctor Who. Um, Can I just add yeah. that? that is, uh, a, they've got a live site that, well, it's gone live now, www.who.tv forward slash world tour. But there is a, a just a caveat at the bottom. It just says... Um, Due to production commitments, Stephen Moffat will be unable to attend the entire tour. The cities he will uh, join the tour for will be announced soon. So, mm. hopefully, it, you know it, he will be on the majority of it, which is somewhat right. Of a, mm. yeah. most, most, most of the fans will be want to see the screen people, of course. But I think that shows you where we are in the production of Doctor Who, because what that effectively means is that uh, by the time, the just before the series starts, we still are going to be in post-production on the later episodes of the series, and that the reason that you've got Jenna Coleman and Peter Capaldi available is that they're done with, you know, principal photography and probably pickups, or most pickups. Uh, so that, that shows you how finely... You know, I didn't think it was going to be as soon as August that this show, this series was going to launch. I thought it was going to be, well, before certain facts became evident. You know, when speculating last year, I thought it was going to be more in the October range. Uh, but now this shows us, you know, by the time that they start, it's going to be like, like it was in Series 1. You know, in Series 1, we know that when Rose was aired, they were still working very hard on the latter episodes and that was true of most of the Russell T Davies era that you would tend to start your thing in March late March early April and you still didn't really have episodes you know 8 through 12 completely done really usually um so and, and they, we know that they got, they ran into massive trouble in series 2 where they they filmed uh you know 12 and 13 out of order so that the ones that were really critical were the impossible planet and um Oh, Saint Saint yeah. That those they were they were really running close to the wire on those because they came much earlier in the broadcast schedule, but they came really late in the production schedule, and they were just you know bonkers, crazy trying to get that one done. But anyway, I mean, I think I think it makes sense to me that that Moffat is not going to be available for the entire thing because twelve days in what would be probably early August, uh, well, what, what is actually early August, he's not going to be done. There's no way he can get away for that. Um, so, good stuff there. Um, and then the other little bit of news, I guess, is that there's this auction. There are always sort of little Doctor Who auctions from time to time where various things are being put up for sale, and they are at uh, Bonhams. Uh, you can find some mainly costumes from Doctor Who and Torchwood and Sarah Jane Adventures. Some of them interesting, some of them less interesting, uh, for details of that, you can go to where I'm getting all this news, and that is, of course, at DoctorWhoNews.net, which is your Doctor Who news aggregator. And that's what I got for you. Okay, Ian, do, right, do you want you to mention much. some of the some of the sad news that we've had as well in the last few days? 
Do I have to? <laughs> um, God, we could have done this first and then <laughs> and then cheered everybody up. But uh, uh, earlier this week, I, think, I believe that was on uh, Monday, we uh, we lost uh, Rick Mayo, unfortunately. Um, uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Rick Mayo, bastards. Um, <laughs> uh, he, of course, <laughs> was uh, one of the stars of uh, The Young Ones, great TV show. Uh, had appearances in, in uh, Black Adder's Lord Flashheart. Woof, woof. Um, <laughs> and uh, for the American audiences, uh, a, a wonderful movie called Drop Dead Fred, um, which I went to see. Actually, I saw on video with my wife and while we were dating. Um, so I introduced her to Rick Mayo. Um, we also, um, Dave, Dave posted this one uh, yesterday. Very, very sad. Uh, and I'm trying to scroll through to it. <laughs> Um, that um, we've uh, lost Sam Kelly, um, who's uh, in such a, a great sitcoms like uh, Porridge and Hello, Hello. Uh, for those who don't remember, I don't remember the character's name in Hello, Hello, but he was a little German fella. Uh, fantastic. Seemed like such a wonderful man. Um, lots of uh, um, people on Twitter, um, Stephen Fry and Colin Baker, um, uh, you know, saying some very, very nice things about him. And um, you had the last skiering, one. And skiering, he played in... Um, and skiering. Yes, that's right. Skiering. Yes. Yep. And you had the, 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 the last one. Um, uh, yes. Um, the uh, voice of... Tim, Tim posted the, it into the... Yeah. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. Captain Scarlet, or the voice of Captain Scarlet, uh, actor uh, Francis Matthew uh, died um, at aged 86. Um just, that was that the well the, the post the post was on the fifteenth so I think he died on the fourteenth and uh, other people may know that he played Paul Temple in a TV series in the nineteen sixties uh, but he's um, he's been in lots of uh, he was in uh, films with Morkman Wise the Intelligence Men um, what else. Uh, Quite a lot of. He was obviously an English character actor, so you would have seen him in um, uh, the Avengers, one of the Avengers episodes, uh, Crossplot, um, uh, Bawani Junction. Is that that's a, a movie? Um, but uh, I, I remember him most from being Paul Temple. That's a sort of uh, suave, uh, you know, uh, pseudo James Bond sort of. Uh, think, think the persuaders, that sort of idea and theme. Right. Alrighty. Yep. So that's that's the sad news. <laughs> Unfortunately, thanks to Dave's brilliant planning, we don't have any good news to follow to that. Follow with yeah, with. Um. Yeah. So <laughs> don't you know we're supposed to do a little bad news first, Dave? A little bad news first. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, wrap it up for news. Um, if uh, you'd like to join us, the Cult Collective, here's how you do it. If you enjoy listening, why not join the Collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. 
This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. This is Daphne Ashbrook, and you are listening to Cultum Collective Podcast. That indeed you are. All right. Now this is where the, where, where where Dave takes over for, <laughs> for a minute, and I get my own back on him. <laughs> Last time you left us, we were in the middle of a list show. Yes, but it's the ultimate list show, of course. It's the ultimate ranking. I suppose you call it the ultimate ranking. Somebody will disagree with me, I'm sure. Of all of the Doctor Who stories. So, uh, where, what number were we at last time, Dave? Uh, well, yeah, uh, our episode, uh, this is episode uh, uh, 260, so it's episode uh, 259. We started at, uh, at the last on the list, which was uh, 241. Of course, the, that was harking back to the mighty 200 that they'd done nearly five years ago now, I think, 2009. Uh, and because of, the, of course, the new series, is, there's an extra 41 in the list, so it's out of 240, and we went upwards uh, from 241 up to 240. So we started with Twin Dilemma and ended with uh, the Ice Warriors at 141. So hopefully today we're, we're going to go up the list uh, in sections of 20, and then uh, various people are going to pick the bones out of episodes that um, they um, that they want to comment on. We will try and give their, their ranking in the new order, but we'll also uh, mention the order they had in the previous listing. And uh, the reason why I played uh, our, Ian played the um, the intro with um, a clip, which um, hopefully you guessed was from the three doctors, although you only heard two of them in the clip, was because that is at um, 51 in this list, hoping that we will get to that point and we will have a final and third one on this show uh, doing the top 50 in this DW list. And the magazine that I have in front of me here, uh, got my own copy, and it's uh, magazine 473, if you want to still order it. And as we heard from Darth uh, last time, you can also get it in digital format only. So you don't actually have to buy the physical thing. But we do recommend it. There's an awful lot of other information on there but we're mainly sticking with the list and since i'm on audio now i suppose i ought to uh start us uh last I time we did it me in it again <laughs> no it it might actually be easier if i if i stop at 123 in this first section in because that will finish uh the the one page because we've divided the the list into two pages haven't we but i can go to right, um but, uh, i think so go, go to so go to go to 121. Don't cheat. Go to 121. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Use the two-page script, spread if you have to. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> here we go. Two. How's that? Okay, so <laughs> let me get through the list fairly quickly then. At 140, uh, the Suntaran experiment uh, was one uh, 103 last time. At 139, the Claws of Axis, that's just been reviewed on Podshock uh, with Ian, myself, and Lewis. That's uh, episode 303, I think, so give that a listen. Uh, or actually, no, it'll be 304. I don't, that one's not out yet, is it? Ooh. Well, ooh, ooh. <laughs> Look out for a Podshock episode 304. Get your finger out, Lewis. 
<laughs> get that editing done. Um, uh, that uh, 139 uh, was a 129 before. Uh, uh, 138, the two doctors, was 125 before. At 137, uh, Invasion of the Dinosaurs, uh, from 131. At 136, Gridlock. Unbelievable, it's down there. Should be in the top 20 at least. At 174, that has taken a heck of a hammering. Um, 135, uh, Vengeance on Varos, uh, was 124 below. Uh, 134, The End of the World, was 94. 133, The War Machines, was 108. Uh, a new entry from the new series, Cold War, at 132. At 131, The Romans, that was 97. 130, The Face of Evil, was 116. Another new entry from the new series, The Wedding of River Song, which, of course, our friend uh, who played Churchill says, if Churchill can be in that, he can be in anything. Um, that is episode 129. At uh, 128, previously exactly halfway down the list at 100, The Crusade. 127, uh, Frontier in Space, was 113. 126, The Seeds of Death. I think that's one of Darth's very favourite episodes, if you listened last week, what, uh, was 111. Uh, 125, uh, Planet of the Ood. From 79. 124, uh, The Rise of the Cybermen, Age of Steel. The, the ones, the two parties have been grouped together, averaged out and grouped together. That was 68. At uh, 123, Planet of the Daleks was 118 before. Um, at 122, Image of the Fendal from 73. And at 121, Castrovalva uh, from 88. So, and, 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 and Mike is not available. <laughs> but I'm putting it on audio record. <laughs> He's disappeared. I thought he'd be in on this one because, uh, well, there's, there's not a Muffet uh, Muff episode in this. <laughs> but you love that. Let's go with Rick Wall then. Rick Wall, do you want to pick the bones out of any of those? Uh, surprises? Um, Favourites? Disappointments and where they've been listed? Um, no, not really. Although I do agree with you that... Um, uh, um, oh, God. <laughs> um, gridlock. 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 Gridlock should be higher, yeah. I, I liked that episode. I thought it was kind of fun. Um, but um, no real arguments on anything else. Okay. Um, all right. Um, not even... Uh, I mean, uh, I'm sure Ian will be upset that Castrovalve is down there because that's one of his Amen Corner of episodes, isn't it, there, with the uh, the that little grouping of... Uh, where the fourth and fifth doctor uh, right. are sort of gone. But, uh, again, it's one of those. I mean, it's not too bad. I don't think. I mean, we're we're you know what almost halfway through the list. Um, that's not a terrible position for what is um, 
probably a story that you could say has a lot of faults and I, I I mean I really enjoy it but for me it's more of a personal thing it's you know that time that I was really kind of becoming aware that I you know of the show it was a pivotal moment um and so it's it's high on my list for you know for various reasons not necessarily because of the quality of the story or you know whatever um but it, I mean, I uh, I'm not upset by its positioning in there. It you know that's not terrible. It's made on the first page. Um, more and more I think about it, the more and more I don't really care about gridlock. <laughs> and and I that's really what Jiffy G seven, Jiffy G seven is for. Love gridlock the first time I saw it, uh, but it pales somewhat on repeat viewings, right. which it, surprises me. I was the other way around. I, I hmm. thought it was a little bit too. You know, making political points and, uh, you know, pointedly, you know, the the various couples that were in the cars, there seemed to be somebody making um, a pointed argument for various lifestyles. Um, mm. But I found it was, and I love the speech when, uh, you know, Dr. and Martha in that little, uh, little alleyway and she's saying, I'm not going to move until you tell me. And he tells her that lovely soliloquy or whatever it is at the end. Right. I mean, it's got some great bits in it, but all over, you know, as an overall story, I just don't think it's that great. Same with, actually, now I know why 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 Mike ran off the Whitting of River songs in there. Um, <laughs> oh, and uh, I I am a little upset actually because Cold War. Yes, exactly. Story. I rewatched that this weekend. I rewatched it on on another Friday or Saturday. It's a that's a that's a decent story. I like that story. It, you know, it should be in the top fifty. I would have thought. Yeah. Plus, plus it's got that guy in it. Um, oh, Kobo. Oh, that, Where's that, Kobo that, when you need him? When that that David him? Warner guy, whoever he is. Yeah, Warner guy. Yeah. Actually, I gave my my wife grief because I said, "Oh, look who it is," and she goes, "Who is it?" I'm like, <laughs> "Hey, Kobo." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is the episode that created that. Well, we've got our own little meme. <laughs> Who the hell is David Warner? Has he even done any sci-fi? <laughs> Has he done anything? Uh, yeah. <laughs> 57 says, Rise of the Sidemen, Age of Steel. Um, I still regard it as one of the uh, the top 50. Cold War as well. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I like well, you've shot, War. You've um, shot me in. You've shot me in. You've shot me. I shot you. So- because I thought you would have gone straight to Vengeance on Varus being a Six Doctor story <laughs> and pushed uh, that one. Too easy. Too easy. Too easy. <laughs> but, I mean, this this is not a terrible um, part of the list, I think. Uh, you know, we're getting towards the, you know, it's not dead bottom. You know, it's somewhere in the middle here. And, you know, uh, Two Doctors, I thought, would have been a little higher, but it's, it's an odd time of, you know, for the series, and there's some problems with that story as well. Um, I'm trying to actually pick out more than more than anything. I'm trying to pick out the ones that don't really belong there. I think the Wedding of River Song is the reason why um, Mike hung up. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't blame him. Um, God, that the Wedding of River Song—that's just confusing as hell. Confusing as hell. Um, so yeah, I don't. Right, that could be further on, down towards the bottom for, <laughs> from my money. Uh, okay. But Darth's been very, very quiet. 
Oh, I think he'd be upset about Cold War. I don't know about any of the others. He's upset already. He mentioned last week that Seeds of Death was higher than one of his other favourites. Um, so, Garth, are you okay to come in? Um, yeah, sorry. I was just trying to do some numbers here because uh, this is a, another interesting sort of um, point in the list where we see things that were... We see a lot of droppers here. Um, gridlock clearly dropping in its relative position um, before, of course, it's at 74, so that means it's above the 50% mark. Uh, now it is at um, 186, which means that, sorry, not 186, 136. Um, so, therefore, it is slightly below the 50% threshold. So, Clearly, the opinion on that has gone in the opposite direction. You know, more people dislike it than like it, apparently. I think that's crazy. I am with you, Dave. The more you watch it, the more I like it. I think it's a really strong Martha episode. I think it's great because it's got uh, the Critchlow woman, what is her name, um, who also was in, who went on to be in um, Being Human. What's her name? Something Critchlow. Um, uh. Uh, whatever that plays the ghost I think in, in being human uh, she's great I think that the, her Leonora mate, Critchlow she plays uh, yeah, right I think she's great I think that the the guy her, her boyfriend is also really strong I love the the macker coming out of nowhere. I know some people think that was just a thrown-in monster, but I think it's a logical use of something from the past. I think it was really bold for uh, Russell T. Davies to bring back something that didn't exist anymore in a way. Um, I, I I love that little little twist to it. And I think Tennant is really strong in the episode, being asked to convey emotions that are very subtle um, you know, the, the notion of lying in such a way that the audience knows that he's lying about Gallifrey, but, in the top of the episode at least, but yet in a way that doesn't seem to raise that many um, alarm bells in Martha. She kind of lets it go, but then, you know, there's enough doubt that she can later, you know, refuse to it move until up. she gets an answer. Yeah. Um, just, I think I think it's great acting, and of course the furtherance of the um, uh, what we might call the North Arc, I guess, or or the Captain Jack slash Face of Bo Arc. Um, but you know the novice Hain thing, I, I you know just great actors. All the, there's not an acting misstep in the entire thing. Uh, so. And, and I think it brings greater relevance to New Earth, but we saw New Earth falling too. So I guess if you don't like New Earth, then you probably don't care about that story getting forward. I like New Earth. I like the uh, the whole mythos of that place. So therefore, to me, I think that this is an above 50% um, episode. So it's a little disappointing to see that fall. Um, I think we're seeing a little bit of... The, the, hold on, i got to do the math here. I think we're seeing a little bit of renaissance, if I'm not mistaken, of um, Colin Baker's fortunes uh, because I think he is, yeah. Oh, no, that's, yeah, yeah. He's he, Vincent Alvarez has definitely raised, is, it, is that right? Am I seeing that right? I may be wrong. Uh, oh, no. Sorry, Benjamin Ferris has also fallen a little bit. But, you know, not that much. 
Um, I, other things that are in here that are weird, you know, Romans now on the negative side of things. I, and I think I think it's about right to put it right in the middle. I mean, before it was just slightly above the 50% mark at 97. Now it is a little bit more considerably below the 50% mark. Mm, wait. I, I guess it no, – it, no, it's not more. It's just that it is now on the 50% uh, – below 50% level. That's kind of weird. I, I mean – Again, this sort of flies in the face of something we were saying last week where the introduction of a new um, DVD might make the, the fortunes of a particular story rise. I think I'm right in saying that the Romans is n relatively newer since the last fall was taken. Um, so more people might have had a chance to see the Romans, and yet its fortunes have dropped. That's a little weird to me. I like the Romans quite a bit. Um, I think it's one of the better... Uh, Hartnell episodes, I, I don't think it deserves to be considered a little bit sub 50%. Uh, I think the others that, again, David Tennant taking a hit on Rise of Cyberman, Age of Steel, I always thought that was massively inflated in the last poll anywhere where it was at 68. I am not a fan of Rise of the Cyberman, Age of Steel. I think that they are only redeemed by the excellence of Doomsday in particular. I don't even think that Army of Ghosts particularly raises them. It really takes you all the way to Doomsday before you realize this was why you needed to have an alternate universe and it, you realize that the entire Cyberman thing has been about separating uh, Rose from the Doctor, and then in retrospect, those two episodes come to the fore again. Uh, I think it's about right that this is it's dropped as much as it has, um, going from really almost the top quarter of episodes to being here in the third quarter of episodes. Um, that seems right to me because I just just on the face value, Rise of Cyber Age of Steel is nothing to me. Uh, Planet of the Ood, man, that's a weird drop. I think Planet of the Ood is funny and it's got uh, Aisha Darker in it, who I really like her. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know why that is as low as it is. Seems to me that you know maybe people really didn't like the whole Ood aspect of uh, the then as yet seen um, end of time and indeed all of those specials in 2009 um, like Waters and Mars where the Ood reappears again and I think ultimately a lot of people have complained about the Ood Greek chorus which I think is a fabulous touch really to the end of time and, and to um, Waters and Mars I think, it, I think it's great to have that that through line but if you don't like that and you're reacting against that then you would have to go back to planet Ood and say this is where the trouble started so i'm not going to like it now um so maybe that's why that's taken a hit but i i i just think that planet of the Ood is a fabulous amount of fun and it was like at the time i think it's one of the the most extreme new planets you know people for various seasons have been saying why did you not go to other planets and then planet of the Earth is actually quite a different planet you know it's a snow planet there's a lot of fun that can be had there really good acting by uh, Catherine Tate really remarkable acting by her in it um, I don't understand why that's where that is that's that's kind of weird could it um, be because it's kind of a heavy handed thing on slavery 
Um, I I don't know. Um, if so, um, that might be one of the reasons that people don't like the Romans either, because Romans is even more heavy-handed on on actual human slavery. Um, but uh, I think it's just that people had problems with the whole ood nature of the end of David Tennant, and and you know. It, it, if you don't like that, if you don't like how the, the Ood were used in Journey's End and how the Ood are used later in the actual end of David Dennett, then probably you do go back to the source and say this is the episode that started things badly for us, so we're getting rid of it. But I think it's a, I think it's a logical, you know, in terms of sequels, um, it is better than the sequel for, say, like how New Earth is a sequel to the end of the world. Um I, I just think it's fascinating. I, I, I really don't understand that that big of a drop. I think it should have at least stayed in the same relative position, but for it to really drop that much is very odd to me. Um, and I don't really see. I mean, Castrovalva, honestly, it's a piece of crap. No offense, but even as a big rabid Fifth Doctor fan, Castrovalva puts me to sleep every time. I don't understand why it's even as in the original poll, I would never have put it above the 50% mark. I would have always thought that more people would have disliked it than not. I am a little surprised that it is right at 50% in this poll. You know, uh, So it hasn't really dropped that much. It's dropped a little bit. But I, if, I, if it were me, I, I, I find it less satisfying than Time Flight. I really do. Uh, because the whole master's plot's stupid. The whole pseudo bondage of Adric. Oh God, it's 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 creepy, man. It is creepy. Uh, and, and not only that, but it's a stupid plot for the master. How does the master go from in Legopolis? I mean, when viewed as a sequel, it's particularly pro- profoundly unsatisfying. How does the master go from almost destroying the universe and you know? Putting everything in the, the the CVs and you know killing off Trocken and all of that really bad stuff that he did in Legopolis. How does it go from that to this really kind of bizarre, um, simple little plan of using the mathematics of of Legopolis to ensnare the Doctor in a very vague plan? What is his? I don't see what he's trying to do in uh, Castrovalva at all. It's very. Ah, it, it really frustrates me, especially if you watch it back to back with that. And of course, one of the biggest complaints with Castrovalva is how much they ignore Nissa. Right? Nissa has lost her father in a horrific way, and she barely reacts to it at all. And especially when she comes into contact with the master, she doesn't do anything. She should be just trying to claw his eyes out or something or having some kind of face-to-face confrontation. And Budmead, who's writing the thing, is so enamored with the idea of these abstract mathematics that he doesn't pay attention whatsoever to the actual human drama that should be unfolding in this sequel. It could have been like the best thing ever, but Castrovalva is a real, real letdown. Uh, but maybe, you know, the thing is, you're watching this thing. If you don't watch it back to back, especially if you don't start with Keeper of Trocken, like Keeper of Trocken from the yeah. seems to make some sense in a way. And then you get to Castrovalva, but Castrovalva, if you're watching it, you know, in broadcast in 82 or whatever, you know, it 
it's been quite a while since Legopolis, so maybe you forget the details of Legopolis, so you give it a pass or whatever. And especially if you're in America at that time, it's like two or three years between when you see Legopolis and when you see Castrovalva for the first time. So you might have forgotten details, but honestly, if you watch it, you know, in the the DVD pack that's sold in America that has the entire sort of trilogy together, it really does. It's a damp squib. It's really horrible. So anyway, I think that's massively too high. Though I am glad to see it has dropped a little bit so that at least, you know, people are ambiguous on it. And I think what that really is saying is that people like episodes one and two, but they really don't like episodes three and four. I think that's what it essentially amounts to. Um, but... Yeah, that's that's about Image of the Findal is another big dropper, and I don't again. This is another DVD that I think is new since 2009, so people would have been exposed to, or potentially exposed to the story again. That's a big dropper. I don't have a problem with it. Um, it seems I can see why that would divide people a little bit. Although it's it's not horrible, and certainly it is better than Castrovalva, so should at least those two be, you know, switched around, sure. Um, I think the other th- the other little thing here is the question of the Ice Warriors. Um, and we see, really, that all those Ice Warriors stories are kind of packed together um, because I guess Ice Warriors was the top of the list that we left last time, right? It's at 141. Um yeah, and then and then Cold War is one thirty two, and Seeds of Death is one twenty six. I mean, honestly, there's not that much difference between all three of those, and that sort of shows maybe why the Ice Warriors are always considered inferior to the Daleks and the Cybermen. They're just a, you know, at this point, you're at their main stories are those three stories, right? You've got some other stuff with um, where they are secondary character in the Peladon. Uh, two-parter well in Peladon's after that well yeah I mean we've already passed by the Peladon thing so nothing's higher than Seas of Death and I think that's 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 kind of crazy um, but to be honest there's not enough difference between Seas of Death Cold War and the Ice Warriors to say that one of them is really truly that much better than the other one um, so it, it's weird though that all of the Ice Warrior stories are below the 50% mark um, and again, when I'm saying 50%, for those who might be following later in this discussion, what I'm talking about is um, the number of stories that are rated worse than the story that we're talking about, right? So mm. you know, uh, that means that they are below, if they're 241 entries, that means that they're below 120 in the positioning. And all of the Ice Warrior stories are at least slightly below 120, so they're all a little bit less liked than more liked. So. Right. We have a uh, range there. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, I, I think what it is with the Castrovalve, it, it sort of, it, it gets tagged on to keep a track in Logopolis as the, the handover period. So some people mm. rate it. And I think Ian just associates the three together. Um, <laughs> it's just that. It's just that I really think it's, it's. Uh, oh, sorry. I, I really think that it is a... Um, an unsatisfactory conclusion, worse than, you know, we were talking about Armageddon Factor last time around and how it's a little bit higher than Power of Kroll and how that doesn't make any sense because that story concludes an arc. Again, if this is as a conclusion to an arc, Castrovalva is really 
really bad. And I don't, I don't think people view Castrovala that way. I think people view Castrovala as the first Peter Davison. And I, to me, it is the last of the return of the master arc. And it's in, in, on those terms, it's really not satisfying. Okay. This also is what you might call the introduction of Nyssa arc. And I think it really screws the Nyssa character. I mean, really, it fundamentally makes that character less interesting than she should be because she doesn't react normally to meeting the person that murdered her beloved father. Like, it, it, it's, and, and took away her citizenship in the universe. I mean, the, the, the things that the Master did to Nyssa are absolutely fundamentally appalling and much worse than anything that happens to any character in the history of Doctor Who, really, except for who? The Doctor himself. I mean, what happens to Nyssa is on the same order and scale as what happens to, or what we think happens to, the Ninth Doctor, Right when we're introduced at least to the ninth doctor in, in Rose and the end of the world to find out that he's the last of his kind. So therefore when he meets the Dalek in Dalek, that reaction is completely reasonable and completely normal. And if Eccleston didn't go for it in the way that he would, then it, then that whole time war story doesn't have any meaning whatsoever emotionally. And honestly, Nissa should have done exactly the same sort of thing when she meets the master or at least given us, you know, seeing on her face that she is feeling those emotions, even if she's trying to control them. But we don't even get that. And it, it, it just, it floors me. And it's all the fault of Castor Valva. It's all the fault of Christopher Bidmean, who wasn't paying attention to the human drama that's unfolding. And fundamentally screws up what should have been one of the best companions ever in the history of Doctor Who, and could have been, if indeed... Sarah Sutton had been given the material to work with. Anyway. No, fair Done. points. Let me read a, a few things that GVG7 has put in text, and then I'll just say a few things. Um, the Rise of Cybermen, Age of Steel, I still regard as one of the top 50, Cold War as well. Uh, now, the couple are irritating, probably deliberately due to drug addiction. Uh, now, I, suppose, I think that's going back to the uh, the couple from um, Gridlock. Um, uh Victory, uh, Vengeance on Varus, uh, either, either the same or higher. These differences are not statistically significant on the whole. Uh, alternate universe concept was unusual at the time. That's talking about the time of Man 1. Um, agree, uh, love the Ood. Uh, feel that uh, the feel of Castrovalva was uh, nice. Uh, and Mike's put in uh, text as well. Uh, the Time World story has no emotional impact nowadays. Thanks, Moffat. Um, and thus, Eccleston's performance has no emotional impact, says uh, Mike, uh, for himself. Uh, okay. Well, you may have to come on and explain that, but let me just go through here. Um, first of all, um, I'm disappointed that the two Doctors were so low down. Yes, the Sontarans were you know, odd sizes and odd things, but we had two Doctors. You know, we had... Um, we had the you know the the great meal episode the uh, the uh, the Patrick Troughton uh, and, and the changing and all the lovely acting in that I I really liked it and of course it was a location one as well 
Uh, Gridlock, um, let me see if I can play a little bit of the speech. I'm not really going to play clips in these, but um, just give people an idea of, of why I like Gridlock, which, in fact, when I think about it, it should be in the top 20 for me. This is it. I lied to you. Because I liked it. I could pretend. Just for a bit, I could imagine they were still alive. Underneath the burnt orange sky. I'm not just a time lord. I'm the last of the time lords. Place if I was wrong, there's no one else. What happened? People fought a race called the Daleks for the sake of all creation, and they lost. They lost. Everyone lost. They're all gone now. My family, my friends, even that sky. I should have seen it, that old planet. That's just um, sublime acting. Uh, uh, I just love that. I mean, obviously, it's his delivery that sells it, and it actually bookends a little bit what we were saying about the Nine Doctor and the and the passion there. I mean, mm. to me, that elevates Gridlock. Just that scene in its own right. Yeah, and the fact, of course, that it ties in very nicely to the sensor rights of all things. Uh, and, and it matches the description that Susan gives of the, of Gallifrey. Or of course, Gallifrey's not named at that point, but nevertheless, it matches that description. And to do that, that's what blew me away was not just that it was fabulous acting, but that, it, you know, because it's RTD, he's taking a, a very subtle connection to the past. So it feels like a single universe. And then of course he gives the instruction later in that same season to the special effects guys to make sure that when Gallifrey is pictured, that it looks like that, that you do have orange leaves, you know, that you do have, I mean, sorry, that you do have the orange sky and that you do have silver leaf trees. And you, you know, when you really look at that, that graphic so that it all becomes this one thing that stretches all the way back to 1963, which is great, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely marvelous. Thanks. And Andre, well, yeah. Uh, Vengeance on virus. I think that's uh, I enjoyed that as a story. Um, one of the ones that we, we, we did a commentary on recently, uh, and I think that's one of the Six Doctors one. That's usually um, the one where they show... Um, is it the one where they, they're always showing Colin Baker in his stance, isn't it? Um, I think, Ian, where I think that's nearly always taken from Vengeance on Virus. 
Yeah. You know, where he's got his outstretched hand. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, what else? Um, Cold War, of course, I think should be higher. I'm going to jump through these quickly. Um, I want to know, in the, the Cold War thing, though, although I agree with you and I agree with Ian about how Cold War should probably be a little bit higher. I think the reason that it's taking a hit, especially from Doctor Who magazine voters, is because Doctor Who magazine voters tend to be really hardcore Doctor Who fans. And they also tend to skew slightly older, although we know that this particular sample pool, you know, apparently the majority of people were born in 1987. But we know that they're fairly hardcore. And I think that the reason that Cold War makes them chafe is because of the, you know, Escape from the uh, the the uniform, for lack of like, that that shell is not an organic part of the being. It's revealed that that is just a battle suit, and a lot of people really dislike that and dislike the the thought of the true ice warrior creature being kind of a wiry, you know, thing. Uh, so I think that's why that episode takes a hit. It also takes a hit because a, a common complaint with it is that people say it's just a remake of Dalek, which it kind of is a remake of Dalek in a lot of ways. Uh, so it loses some ground. It, it can't win for losing in a way because on the one hand, when it tries to be original, some fans really don't like the way in which it's original. And then it's also hit because people think it is not original because it's just a remake of Dalek. So... I, I think it's dumb. I, I I love it though. I think it's great. I, I, mean, I, I think, think I think something had to be done for the Ice Warriors because they were too lumbering and slow, and it just doesn't work right. in, in in modern TV. So what's the next best thing? You 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 know you make the suit be you know an armor, and then he can get out and move freely and be quick and you know sneaky and otherwise it's like run down the corridor. Okay, we've got a good ten minutes before he catches up. Now what? <laughs> you know. Yeah. I think the the downside was the fact that I thought they were like the warrior. There was the like the ruling lords. There were like two mm. classes of ice warrior, which I suppose that integrates if you assume that. Uh, uh, but um, uh, the other thing is quite right with the the Dalek one. But haven't we found that you know when you have one Dalek is more scary than than ten thousand coming out of spaceships? Right. Although I, for one, was really thrilled that. Dot two got to a budget level where they could have, you know, That's ten thousand. <laughs> you know, um, I don't say that, but I gotta say, I, you know, yes, okay, the one Dalek is kind of scary because there's an emotional thing there because Eccleston pitches yeah. his performance right, and especially because of the very end, you know, what's scary is what Eccleston is prepared to do, and that Rose has to step in and stop him from becoming a killer again. But what is I personally, the scariest thing in Doctor Who to me is, uh, I mean, in terms of Daleks, is that moment in Stolen Earth where all of a sudden, if you didn't know what was coming, and I didn't know what was coming, you know, you all of a sudden hear the Dalek voice in the, um, you know, they go around all the different people, you know, they go to Sarah Jane's house and they go to Torchwood and everybody. And then all of a sudden you hear the recording of what is coming to attack Earth and you hear exterminate. That freaked me out the first time that I heard it. And then Elizabeth Sladen's like starting to cry. Oh my God. It's so perfect, man. This really Forget it, we're screwed. <laughs> we're screwed, yeah. I'm sorry, I can't do anything. And, and then seeing 
the Dalek saucers in New York love that. That is yeah. perfect. That is what yeah. I always wanted to see. You know, just and it, out. Yeah. Yeah, I probably am, but you know, uh, just fabulous. That scared me a lot. So it can be done with, uh, you know, a lot of people. And then on the other hand, you know. Sometimes when you put a lot of Daleks together, you don't get much in the way of fear. Sometimes, oh, you know, another great moment of fear of Daleks is in um, uh, uh, Parting of the Ways, I guess, where um, Linda with a Y is in the um, in that area that has a, 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 a window out into space, and then all of a right. sudden the Dalek pops up and doesn't say anything, but you know what the flashing of her, the headlights means. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. just, that's beautiful. But then sometimes, you know, you can have a lot of Daleks in, I think, asylum of the Daleks. You've got every Dalek on the planet, and not one point do you really get scared, except for maybe when Rory is up against them, because you know Rory doesn't know anything about Daleks, and so therefore doesn't get what the eggs thing is. And even though that is blatantly stolen, blatantly from, uh, is it Nemesis of the Daleks? I don't know, a Seventh Doctor comic strip with the Daleks. Moffat didn't come up with that at all. It is still very scary to see realized on screen. But by and large, you know, just the Parliament of the Daleks, that's not at all scary. You know, just throwing a lot of Daleks on screen doesn't do anything. You've got to actually have some sort of emotional context and... When you don't, they are just, you know, revealed to be kind of men on tricycles, you know, wandering around set. Yep. Okay, Ian, right. do you want to move us up the next 20? Okie dokie. 120, uh, The Belt of St. John, of course, new in this list, because it's a new series, uh, or, you know, last series. Uh, coming in at 119, Hyde, 118, The God Complex. I have to rewatch that. Uh, was at 102, now at 117. Mordred Undead was at 106, now at 116. Robot uh, was at 81, now at 115. Warrior's Gate was at 109, now at 114. The Pirate Planet uh, was at 112, uh, now at 113. Uh, the Moon Base was at 120, now at 112. Snake Dance was at 66. Now at 111, Smith and Jones. Uh, was it uh, was it 77? Now at 110, the visitation. Was it 87? Now at 109, state of decay. Uh, was it 119? Now at 108, the greatest show in the galaxy. Uh, was it 64? Now at 107, the Shakespeare Code. Was it 98? Now at 106, Partners in Crime. Uh, at 105, Amy's Choice. Uh, was it 85, now at 104, The Mask of Mandragora? Uh, was it 105, now at 103, The Ribos Operation? Uh, was it 83, now at 102, The Unicorn and the Wasp? And coming in at 101, was it 96, Eldred Must Live, The Hand of Fear? So there we go. Interesting uh, section. Uh, it's funny how the uh, Bells of St. John Hyde and Gomb Complex are all kind of strung together there. I actually have to rewatch. I really do have to rewatch um, God Complex because, uh, yeah, I really can't remember it. <laughs> um, but I've just recently rewatched The Bells of St. John and I, I, I still think that's a, a great little story. Um, motorcycles going upside of buildings and everything. Um, 
It's on Blu-ray. He's got it on Blu-ray, that's why. I don't have it on Blu-ray. I don't have it on Blu-ray, but it's a high-def streaming, I tell you. Um, oh, right. <laughs> Amy's Choice. Yeah. Go away. Go away. I don't like Amy's Choice. You can just disappear. Uh, Amy can choose to go home. <laughs> oh, thunder. Sorry. <laughs> Distracted by Thunder. Um, tend to fear... Interesting positioning. Um, it's one of the things that I think it should be higher. I, only because I like it. It's you know, again, it's another turning point episode. I'm a, I'm a sucker for turning point episodes. I mean, you could say that a lot of things are turning point episodes, and this and that and the other. But you know, um, Sarah Jane leaving at the end. It's it's kind of you know that that is that is a major point in the, in, in the series. Um, I'll have to give it give the rest of it some thought, but uh, Dave. Uh, well, um, I'm going to leave Smith and Jones to Dallas because I think he's going to have a rant about that one. I think he's going to think that should be massively much higher up there as one of the best introductions to a new companion. Uh, Ooh, so I'll well, set, let, let him. Well, well, well. With, uh, with partners um, in crime in that same in that same batch, partners in crime does it better. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> if Jeff was here, of course, he'd he'd be saying he'd be pleased that uh, Greatest Show in the Galaxy has moved up a little bit. Um, uh, nice seventh dot story. But let me have a look. Hyde, I think Hyde. I prefer Hyde to the God Complex and Bells of Saint John. Mm. Robot, I suppose. It, Robot stayed. Um, it's the midpoint, isn't it? It's a, a balancing one there. It was just under the halfway. It's just over the halfway. That's always been the reference point for people in the United States in terms of, um, you know, that's when they first got introduced to uh, the Doctor through the fourth Doctor. That's the one that they always seem to jump back and restart on. And you see, uh, I mentioned Great wow. Show in the Galaxy. And, and you he, mentioned uh, Great Show in the Galaxy. Yeah, he shows up. Thank you. He heard. <laughs> Somebody said Great Show in the Galaxy. I'm there. Yeah, we'll, we'll give him time to find his footings. But, Jeff, we're on the... Uh, the first page of the list, we're doing the 120 to uh, 101, going up from that. Uh, Ian's gone. I'm just going through it. We've got Rick Wallen uh, and Darth to speak. Um, but let me have a look. Let me see what else other than those two I want to mention. Um, you see, I, don't, I wouldn't put the Shakespeare code, uh, although that's dropped a lot. So I suppose that's where it should be. I, I think it was too high before at 64. Because uh, I didn't particularly like that much. Um, what else? Hand of Fear, uh, I like that a lot. Uh, Andy Fandy suits and all. Eldrad must live. Um, but again, that's probably... It's about a similar position, isn't it? But I, I, I do like Hand of Fear. So of those, um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll perhaps chime in when Darth, as you say about Smith and Jones and maybe Capartners and Crime. So let's find out what Rick Wall thinks and then we'll introduce Jeff into the room. Uh, I think um, uh, Smith and Jones should be a lot higher, but um, that's just me. Um, I, I I disagree. I think it was a... Although I do like um, Partners in Crime too, so maybe both of them should be up a little higher. Um, 
Robot, I don't know why it's so low. I think it should be uh, much higher. Uh, like you said, it's a big introduction to everybody. It was one of the first stories I've ever, I ever saw. As a matter of fact, after I saw it, I called a friend of mine and I said, you've got to see this thing on PBS. It's a British science fiction thing. It's called Doctor Who. And he goes, what? Who? Uh? <laughs> and uh, I see. You know, I was really excited about it. And, uh, um, yeah, it has its problems with the plot and stuff, but, you know, it's one of these things where I say, just put your mind in park and enjoy it. <laughs> um, you know, and... Um, no major qualms with anything, although Hand of Fear should be up higher also, I feel, but no major qualms again in this group too much. Okay. Let me introduce Jeff into the room. Um, hi, Jeff. Hi, Dave. How are you today? We're doing fine. We had uh, quite a lot of the news items first. That's why we've only done this section just to, to remind you, I'm going to go to Darth next if I may, but just okay. to give you uh, an opportunity to know that um, if you want to reference, we started at 140. So if you want to cover any of the 140 to 121, uh, as well as this grouping of 120 to 110, after Darth's finished, please feel free to do so. Okay. So, uh, we're going to 110, not 100? Uh, or 101? Currently, we're on the 120 to 101. 101, okay. Thank They're you. doing them in 20s, sorry. But you got you missed the first 20. Okay. Okay, awesome. Darth, uh, did I speak out of turn when I picked on Smith & Jones there or not? Well, that's not the thing I'm looking at on this list, but we'll talk about that. The, the one thing, of course, that I would really look at here is Mask of Andragora, because um, to me, that's the best episode of a classic Doctor Who. So therefore, uh, I, I would always rate this at, at least, um, I don't know, maybe 104. I forget how many episodes of BBC Wales Doctor Who there have been. Maybe it is around 100, right? Because there's 41 Matt Smith episodes. Maybe that's right, you know, in, in, in my terms, because in my terms, you know, I always believe any episode of BBC Wales Doctor Who is better than the best episode of classic Doctor Who. So on those terms, maybe 104 makes sense. But, of course, we know that's not how this poll is actually being done. It's basically being done on what stories do you prefer. Um, so it is treading water, even though you see there 86 in the 2009 poll and 100 in this poll, that amounts to the same thing, really. Um, so it hasn't actually, it's declined by less than a percentage point. Um, but um, I, I, look, I mean, I would put that, since we're mixing together both eras in a way that makes me uncomfortable anyway, I would put it as number one, because I just think it is, it is the one episode that is for me defining. Uh, and of course, you know, I've actually taken the trouble to, go on a pilgrimage to the location uh, specifically because I knew that's where Mask of Dragger was filmed. I, I love it. You know, I mean, I can't say that it should be anything other than uh, number one, if we're going to say, you know, try to do some sort of bizarre equivalency between old series and new series. So that to me, I'm glad it hasn't really declined, but at the same time, I think it is, 
number one. And the weird thing to me, and I've never understood this, is why people say Hand of Fear is better. Because as a story, there's no way that Hand of Fear is better than Masculine Dragra. I think that the reason that it gets to bounce a little bit is because of the last 10 minutes, which aren't really a part of the story of Masculine Dragra, I mean, of Hand of Fear at all. The, the leaving scene is obviously exquisite in Hand of Fear, but you would have to ignore, really, episodes three and most of episode four of Hand of Fear to get to the point where you can say it's a better story than Mask of Mandragor or that it's even much of a story whatsoever. Um, Hand of Fear is a very bizarre episode in the way that people view it, and it's largely just because of the leaving scene. It's not because of the guts of the story whatsoever. So I have a problem with how Hand of Fear is relative to Mask of Mandragora, but I think Hand of Fear should actually be a sub-50 percenter, really. I think it should be in the maybe even the bottom quartile of stories. Um, the other things that are kind of interesting in this um, round is, of course, the uh, continuing growth of the Seventh Doctor, you know, we see here some significant improvement in Greatest Show in the Galaxy. It was before a sub-50 percenter. It is now uh, a fairly significantly above 50 percenter. I mean, in, in percentage terms, it's quite a big improvement for Greatest Show. I don't really understand that. I'm not going to pretend that I do. I guess Jeff is coming along in a moment to help us out with some degree of understanding there. Uh, but I... Seriously, I have shown this episode to somebody who is in love with the new series, and they looked at it, and they're like, I cannot believe this series ever survived with crap like that on. So, I mean, and again, I'm quoting somebody, um, but nevertheless, I agree with the sentiment. Um, I just, I don't understand growth in this particular story either. I mean, I think this is, of a bad era, for me, a bad era, this is one of the really bad stories. And for it to grow in appreciation, to be above 50%, uh, you know, that is to say, again, 50% of the stories, or more than 50% of the stories are worse than this. Um, that makes no sense. Um, a lot of the other things here that... Um, uh, conversely, one of the happy things about the uh, this particular section is Snake Dance, which even though, you know, um, which has clearly made an improvement, a big improvement, really. I mean, more than, you know, it now is 112, it was 120, but of course, remember, we have 41 more stories, so that is actually quite a big jump, and I think that has, that might actually have something to do with two factors. One, the release of the DVDs, with a lot of good extra features on it, and you got people like um, uh, Rob Shearman doing a uh, documentary on there, singing the praises of it. A lot of people love Rob Shearman, so therefore, if Rob Shearman says that the episode is good, they're going to think it's good. Also, you know, you got people um, tuned into what Moffat is saying. Moffat too believes that Kenda and Snake Dance are the two best serials of the classic era. So that kind of you know, you've got Moffat and Rob Shearman both loving these two serials and publicly talking about it. I think actually um, Moffat is on the Kinda DVD, not Snake Dance. But still, if you got them vouching for it, a lot of people are sort of going to follow along with them, even if they don't understand what's going on in the story or whatever. But I think it's great to see some forward advancement of those two. And of course, we know that Snake Dance and Kinda um, are in the BFI vault as examples of good Doctor Who. So that's 
that's kind of good to see that you know these stories, which certainly at the time, both Kendon and Snake Dance, not really appreciated in Doctor Who magazine polls, seasonal polls done back in the early 80s, seeing them raise in profile each time we do this, that's kind of a good thing. Um, the other thing that's distressing here is, of course, Robot, and I completely agree with Rick. I mean, that's if you're an American, I think you do have a special relationship with Robot. If you're American of a certain age, if you were, you know, introduced to Doctor Who on PBS, Robot's going to be one of the stories that you've seen most often. And I, to this day, I still watch it twice a year, maybe more. I mean, episode one, I watch a lot. Um, and, you know, I, I just watched it this last week. And I think it's pitch perfect. I mean, honestly, there, I can't think of another Doctor. Um, except for, well, no, I mean, except for modern doctors. Uh, that is to say, there's no other classic era doctor, except for William Hartnell, who was as into his character, as perfectly attuned to his character in the first outing as Tom Baker. And it's part of the reason why I so dislike um, and, and will not make apologies for Sylvester McCoy like a lot of people will and maybe Jeff will in a moment, uh, because, uh, you know, when you see Tom Baker so completely in the role, remembering, of course, he's filming this at the end of season 11, not at the beginning of season 12. This is his first outing. So when you actually see him in episode one of Robot, that is in filming order, not just broadcast order. Then all these people who say, well, you know, it took McCoy a year, but, you know, he finally got in there, or it took Colin Baker a year, but he finally got in there, or, you know, maybe... Or to Doomsday with the Fifth Doctor. That was his that's first a, No, that's a different story, because that has nothing to do with deliberately filming out of order, and, you know, whatever. That That is a special circumstance um, that largely Peter Davison has misrepresented in order to, I guess be more humble or whatever, but that that was not deliberately filmed out of order. That was filmed out of order because of a production error. Um, and if if it had gone in the natural order, he certainly would have filmed his first episode first. Um, but, I mean, to see Tom Baker really fully into that character in the first, actually, in the, even the second scene, much less the first episode, uh, I, I, that's a lie. In the first scene, when he first wakes up, he is completely weird in Tom Baker. He is exactly the fourth Doctor. And I just, it is a fundamentally fantastic episode for that reason alone, because it, it, it he does something that really isn't done, except, you know, I will give William Hartnell credit for getting it right, because he had two takes, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so that's, not, that's not fair, exactly. But he does something that really didn't start to be done until McGann. Right, and I think McGann is perfect, you know, right off the bat, and certainly then Eccleston and everybody else is fine right off the bat. But it just puts paid to this lie that you need to give people time to settle into the doctor. If you're a good actor, or if the role is right for you, or if you know what you're doing, if you have a plan and can execute the plan, you can be brilliant from the off, and that's what makes, I don't know, it's a perfect example in that way. And so I think it should be way higher, way way higher. Plus, I think that the story. 
I think the reason maybe this is low is because you got some people who believe mistakenly, I think, that by this point, Unit is a shadow of its former self and that the Brigadier is a little bit of a buffoon. But actually, it's a really good Brigadier story. I think he comes across as completely competent, completely on top of things, um, a little bit lost because he doesn't have the doctor with him. But he's still not, you know, he's not so lost that uh, he's unuseful in the story. He's actually quite useful in the story. Um, and I also think it's a great, if you watch Planet of the Spiders and this back-to-back, it it's it works. It's of a piece because, of course, it's, you know, the same production team as Planet of the Spiders. It's not the, the incoming production team. It's the outgoing production team. Um, I, it's great. It should not be this low. Um, and as for, I don't, I think partners in crime way too high. Um, you know, I would disagree comparing partners in crime with, um, Smith and Jones because they're not equivalent episodes. Um, partners in crime is the second Donna story. It's not the first. Uh, whereas of course, Smith and Jones is the introduction for, um, uh, for Martha. Uh, and, you know that last scene is just incredible. The the introduction of Martha to the to the Doctor, I think is fine. I think also it's a great litmus test episode because if you put somebody down in front of that and they don't like it, they're not going to like Doctor Who. <laughs> Period. I mean that <clears throat> is just just the right amount of kind of bonkers, crazy, and good emotional content that displays the range of the modern Doctor Who series. And either it works or it doesn't work for somebody. And I, there are lots of great things about it, not just the introduction of Martha, and I think she's great in it, not just the introduction of Martha's family, and I think they're all quite interesting in it. Um, it it's the... Uh, there's some great musical cues in it. There's some great um, atmosphere to it. The, the music is particularly profound because it's the first time that, you know, a uh, a a popular song has been introduced in Doctor Who. Like, it, if you're American, that was the 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 uh, um, the song that's at the very beginning of the the story that's underlying Martha's introduction. That was the first time that was ever heard in America. Um, and it's the first hip-hop piece that's been in, in Doctor Who, so it's breaking some new ground. Uh, there's just a lot of great stuff that's in it. The Jadoon are really interesting, uh, if not entirely original. I mean, they are kind of a, uh, a you might say, a Hitchhiker's Guide kind of uh, alien. That's fine, because that's, you know, British. That's kind of cool that they are so officious that they are, you know that they're wrapped up in their own bureaucracy. That's cool. It's interesting. It's just enough of a threat that's not a real threat, you know, to make the plot move along. I, I think it's really cool. I think it should be uh, certainly higher than Partners in Crime. And not. I think really the issue here for me is that Partners in Crime should just be lower. I'm not, I, you know, I can understand if this thing is, I, I'm glad that Smith & Jones is a little bit higher um, than the 50% mark, I don't really have a problem with it falling a little bit. I think it should have fallen maybe to 100, let's say. That makes sense since you're adding 41 new episodes into the thing. Um, but, you know, it fell a little bit too much. The real problem for me is Partners in Crime is just one of the most unsatisfying first... It is the most, sorry. It is the most unsatisfying first episode of a series since... BBC Wales returned to me. Um, it, there, there's a great part in it. There's some mimery work in there that's great, but it's 
uh, to me, it is below the 50% mark. Uh, and the rest of it, uh, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. Oh, I just had a question. Um, you, you think that's even worse than Asylum of the Daleks? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that as an introduction of, uh, yeah, no, it's not worse than Asylum of the Daleks. Um, you're right. Uh, I forgot. That that whole, I've, I kind of blocked out that season 7A, because to me, season 7 is really starting with Snowmen. I mean, kind of. Um, but yeah, right. Good catch. Uh, but the rest of that, I think there's, uh, I think it's interesting that Unicorn and the Wasp, which a lot of people deride, actually hasn't dropped. Uh, in fact, it's kind of picked up a little bit, a tiny little bit, um, which is fascinating to me because I would have thought that would have dropped, even though I personally think it, it does deserve to be above the 50% mark. And this seems like a good place for it, really. Um, but again, the, the the interesting thing here in this particular range is the way that um, some things have treaded water, really, and that really this particular group of 20, mo a lot of things haven't changed. It's just that um, a couple of um, interesting points of change in it are that uh, Greatest Show in the Galaxy is a big mover up, and Snake Dance is also a big mover up. Um, but and and Moonbase. That's and another interesting up is that Moonbase has actually gone up. Even though if you look at the poll, you're thinking, wait, Moonbase was 112, now it's 118, so that means it dropped. But no, of course, you're adding 41 new places, so that means it's actually gone up, which is interesting. Um, 113 to 112. So it's it's actually moved up one place. It's one place down, but it's moved up 40 places. Right, exactly. And that's an int you're right. This copy that I'm looking at, the threes and the eights are really not yeah, you're right. But anyway, the that that is fascinating to me that the moon base has moved up because it's it you know, it's kinda not um a lot of people that don't really well, don't don't regard that as the greatest Cyberman thing in the world, but for it to really have moved up that much again shows our two biggest moving doctors really are the second doctor and the seventh doctor in this poll. And that's just a, another point of that. Um, I, I don't know if I agree with pirate planet being as high as it is. I, I kind of liked it in the past where it was below slightly below 50%. Now it is a slightly above 50%. Don't know if I agree with that. Um, but you know, by and large, this, this little section is just notable for the improvement in fortune of, seven five and two and and the dropping uh a little bit of four again though the real tragedy mask Interagra. i i don't understand why people don't appreciate that a little bit more than they do but that's just me so now probably for jeff to tell us how i was incredibly wrong yeah let me just tell you by the way the song was uh sunshine by arrested development in the uh yeah yeah which yeah. in the U.S. broadcast on, what, premiered on the Sci-Fi Channel, and not on the radio. Excellent, Jeff. Do, do you did you want to drop back to well, one fourteen cover? Well, the I, first I wanna, one. Turn up. I want to talk a little bit about what Darth just said. Okay. Um, <laughs> he, said that, he said that the seventh Doctor and the second Doctor have benefited from this new polling, and I wonder if. There's another reason for that. Um, when I think of the 11th Doctor, who we just had exit, of course, um, I think a lot of the second Doctor. 
and the Seventh Doctor. The Eleventh Doctor was very manipulative, so is the Seventh Doctor. Um, I think the Seventh, uh, the Eleventh Doctor has a lot of the mannerisms and appearance of the Second Doctor. So I, I just wonder if, if having the Eleventh Doctor has benefited those two Doctors. And Darth, I don't know if you want to respond to that or not. I, I think that's possible, and I think that's one of the reasons that you know Eleven is not exactly my favorite iteration of the Doctor. Um, sir, I, I think it's absolutely clear that the that Matt Smith's appreciation of Patrick Troughton has resonated with people who are younger and has made people go back. It certainly has helped things too. That um, you know, significant. Second Doctor episodes have been recovered in this time period and are fresh in people's minds. That's um, true too. You know, uh, the, the, I don't the Seventh Doctor thing. You know, I just I can't personally explain it. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know that necessarily. Eleven. You know, ha- having some flavor of the Seventh Doctor, which I agree he kind of does. I don't know if that really translates into it. I, I think it's more of a general regard for McCoy as a person because he's been so prominently at major Doctor Who things lately. And because, you know, of his I guess the assumption that because he's in the Hobbit, he must be a good actor, which is a weird assumption, I think. But nevertheless, certainly the Hobbit has brought him some prominence that he didn't really have before. Um, and and you know his appearance in the Five-ish Doctors reboot and stuff has has probably helped him a little bit too. But well, can I, can good I lord, I don't understand it. Can mm. I agree with you on McCoy on something? Yeah, yeah. Mental like, note: We're at uh, one hour thirty-six minutes gone. The greatest show in the galaxy. It was one episode too long. It, that thing, it dragged. It dragged. Uh, yeah. I, I don't really care for it. Oh uh, yeah. For a seven yeah, doctor story, I don't care for it. Yeah, and it's got like probably the worst. Sophie Aldred performance, and it's certainly the worst Sophie Aldred cliffhanger acting. The the cliffhanger from one to two, oh my god, it is horrible. It is the definition of how not to do a cliffhanger. She is horrible. They come in for her close-up. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know how to react. Her face stays essentially the same. There's no sense of jeopardy, no sense of peril. And it, and it literally is, oh my god, look, there's a circus tent. Ooh, mm-hmm. wow, that's scary. You know, it's it's really horrible. Well, it, probably the it, worst, well, second worst cliffhanger in Doctor Who of all time. It, if, there was so one, if there was one McCoy story I'd skip, it would be that one. Yeah. It, I, it, I think that should be best, a lot lower. The, the best thing that McCoy did in that is walking away from an explosion without flinching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The explosion was bigger than it was supposed to be. I will say that the interesting thing about Greatest Show in the Galaxy that I appreciate is I love the behind the scenes story of how it got made because it's, it is a story of ingenuity. I mean, if nothing else, uh, you know, they, they, they lost their set. I mean, they lost their studio because of asbestos. They only had a certain window of time in which to make it. And so it does show one of the strengths of John Nathan Turner, even late in his career of being able to figure out a way to get something done when it doesn't look like there's an ability to get it done. You know, and decamping to a parking lot and putting up tents 
that's pretty creative kind of and to do it on the fly like that that's also creative. i mean to to make sure that you get something on the air at the end of the day that is the job of a producer and you know even though there are a lot of things i don't agree with in the jnt era his, his one strength always was get the thing done and get it done more or less on budget he was always really good at that and in Greatest Show in the Galaxy makes for an interesting behind-the-scenes tale, even though the actual tale itself, wow, it's pretty out there. Now, the thing I'm going to disagree with you on about McCoy is uh, the first season that he was in. They didn't know who the Doctor was going to be, and they were starting to write these stories. So they wrote a generic Doctor, and he had to kind of fill in the the blanks, and he did the best he could with it. Uh, But if you look at his last two seasons, much, much stronger. Well, I mean, who couldn't be much stronger after such a poor start? I I, I don't know. See, the reason I disagree with that is because I don't think there's anything really better about the scripts in the Peter Davison era, and yet there is never a time where you look at, at least for me, when you look at Peter Davison and you think, this guy just simply doesn't know what he's doing. Whereas I absolutely time in the ronnie you look at uh, uh, mccoy even paradise towers even actually most of that first season and you think there are times where he really doesn't know what he's doing um he doesn't know how to convey the emotion that is in the script even if the script is terrible whereas you know you look at time flight which you gotta say is one of the worst episodes ever made and especially you know episode one of time flight is pretty dire um Episode four is even worse. But at no point do you think Peter Davison doesn't believe he is in the scene. You know, he, he is always in the moment. He's he's always doing something that's interesting with the script, even Darth, if the script isn't interesting. Darth, whose fault is that? Not the actors, the directors. No, no, but I'm saying as a comparison between the acting skill of Davison and the acting skill of McCoy. When McCoy is pre- presented with a script that is bad, which is to say time of the running. He doesn't know what to do with it. Whereas when Davidson is presented with a script that is equally bad, which is time flight, it still comes across as this is the doctor. I completely believe he's the doctor. I completely believe what he's saying, even though I know what he's saying is complete crap. You know, I mean, it, there is just a difference fundamentally in the acting ability of these two guys at that time. So, yeah. The and, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I grant you Peter Davison Davison is a much better actor than Sylvester McCoy. Mm. But I found Davison's era, for the most part, pretty bland. Sure. I'm not going to disagree with that. Uh, The stories are pretty bad. When the stories are really good, they're really good. Like Caves of Anderson, you know, they are... Well, even his doctor was bland. Even his doctor was. I see. Well, that, I mean, that, and that's a, certainly a common thing about Davison. Um, some people do view that doctor as being very bland. I see it as being a very subtle performance that is in um, direct and appropriate contrast to Tom Baker. So, therefore, if you're looking at the doctor as a whole character and it, it, the story of the doctor is an evolving one. Um, then, you know, you see this nice sort of transition between one and two. Two is obviously the fun side of one, you know, evolved different, 
you know, whatever. And then two and a three, three is again more serious, a nice contrast. Then three and a four, you get, you know, sort of crazy as compared to controlled. And then, uh, you know, four and five is, is again a nice contrast. Whereas, I don't know. I mean, it's, it might be the fault of the intervening doctor between five and seven. But, the, you know, what what is seven trying to do? I mean, it doesn't make any real uh, – it just doesn't make any sense. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I think McCoy didn't have very much control of what he could do with the character, mm. at least in that first season as much. And, uh, yeah, he's not as good of an actor, but – I, I think they they kind of tried to portray him as the friendly, fun-loving doctor that is in contrast to Six, who is over the top on just everything. Mm. No, no offense. Yeah. Mm. But you know, offense taken. Offense taken. No. <laughs> it's just it's just not. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's. I hear you, but uh, it, it, it's. It's difficult to, you know, again, in the context of the list that we're looking at, it's kind of difficult to say that it makes any real objective sense that the story, nothing about the stories have changed, really. So why would it be that Seven is getting such a a, a jump on things uh, when, you know, you have to write off an entire season? You do, really. And then, you know, you're saying here that even you don't like Greatest Show in the Galaxy. Well, that's the next season, right? Um, so, you know, you're talking 12 episodes, so you've got rid of four. Now you're getting rid of five. Oh, I, uh, wouldn't, get, I wouldn't get rid of season 24. Well. I, I thought it was nicely bookend. I, I'm one of the ones that like Time in the Ronnie, I'll admit it. Oh. It's not in the top 100 or anything, but I do like it. Uh, I like Dragonfire, mm. and the other two have some good qualities <laughs> about too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But what did you think about other things that are on the list in this oh, particular section? He wants to get off McCoy now. Well, I mean, I don't think that that's. I, I mean, I think it's interesting to talk about McCoy in the context of the list within this particular. Thing, but I mean, it's not. I, I don't think that the point of this exercise is for either of us to really convince the other, because I think you're always going to give McCoy slack that I just, I, I just blatantly don't. I mean, I think you know. Obviously. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what you're given as a script. You can either sell it or you can't sell it. And I, I just think if you didn't have the example of Davison um, struggling against stories that are really bad that even he knows are really bad and you see him and it doesn't look like a struggle it looks like he believes what's going on he goes into the TARDIS he presses some buttons he spouts some gobbledygook you believe that he knows what he's talking about you go on with your life you know uh, and and you look at him and you like whatever you think of the story you still believe he's the doctor you still believe that that is a character that is within that world and isn't apart from it whereas you look at McCoy I don't believe half the time that he feels like he's a part of the episodes that he's in. I I look at him and I think, this is a guy who is acting. Whereas I look at Davison and think, this is a guy who exists. Uh, and 
that's a major difference, it seems to me. And I don't really understand, you know, with that in mind and with the the generally poor performance of Seventh Doctor episodes last time, I, the, there is no natural explanation for why things should be elevated, so why Greatest Show in the Galaxy should be here sitting at, you know, whatever, 108, um, and therefore above the 50%, fewer people hate it than like it, which just, that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how. It, it, it's just a totally different way of producing Doctor. A totally different way of acting. It. It doesn't even seem like it's the same series in most of those things. So, uh, in fact, in, I, I'm going to say, in, in all of Sylvester McCoy, it doesn't feel like Doctor Who at all. I mean, not not a single iota. It just feels like it's this this pantomime version I guess. pantomime is probably not the right word but it seems like a caricature of what Doctor Who was before and so you see this guy and, and you know Verity Lambert said this at one time when asked to comment about later Doctors she said you know they don't really seem like they are fully believing the universe in which they exist and that's really true I mean he doesn't seem to believe that he is the Doctor at all he believes that he's a guy playing the Doctor okay well, um, you, go ahead, Dave. Oh, I was just saying, do you want to touch on any of the, not as long, if you don't mind, on the ones okay. one twenty-one to one forty? Well, uh, looking at that group, um, uh, let's see. Uh, I'm a little surprised the Suntarn experiment has fallen as much as it has. Yeah. One forty. Uh, that should be much higher, I think. Probably about where it, it was on the prior list around 100. Um, uh, going up the list, Gridlock really has fallen that far. I thought that was a very enjoyable episode. Uh, and I know you did too, Dave. Um, that one grew on you as, as you kept watching it. And it did uh, for me as well. Um, I don't know if I'd put it at 74, but maybe up around 80 or 90. Uh, but 136 on this list, that's way too low. Uh, Cold War, that was fabulous. Uh, that's probably in my top 50 or 60. Where, why is it down here at 132? I thought that was an excellent episode. Um, uh, going up the list here. Uh, I'm not really surprised, really, that Rise of the Cybermen, The Age of Steel, has fallen as far as it has uh, on the prior list it was at 68 now it's at 124 um, I never really did care for that one uh, series 2 in general for me was up and down up and down up and down and those two stories was a down episode for me I, I didn't really care for it um, I, it shouldn't be way down at like 200 or anything but you know 124 sounds about right somewhere in the middle of the road um and going up to 121, you said? Uh, I really don't see anything else I want to comment on in that grouping. Uh, going 120 to 101, uh, wow. We got both the Bells of St. John and Hyde in that group. I would have put those much higher. They were very 
enjoyable episodes, I thought. Very high-quality uh, stories. A lot of good acting in both. Uh, I don't know why they're that low. High should be way higher than 119. Probably up again in... So what I picked out of those three, yeah. 50 or 60, in my my estimation. Uh, really, modern undead. Uh, undead. Wow. Uh, I adore that story for the Brigadier. Uh, I know he wasn't supposed to be the original character there, but um, I love that they brought him back, and I thought he did a great job for that story, and uh, I just love the the, uh, the paradox uh, that's involved in that story. It was just, I thought, really well done. Um, Smith and Jones, as mentioned earlier, I, I don't know why it's that low. I, I thought it was really, really good. And until um, the eleventh hour came along, I thought that was the best story for the first episode uh, from each series after the revival. So I don't know why it's it's fallen that far. Excellent story. Um, going up the list further here. Yeah, why it's lower than Partners in Crime, I don't know. I, I did like Partners in Crime, but it should be way higher than that story. Um, Amy's Choice, I thought, was actually the best story from Series 5, other than The Eleventh Hour. Uh, why it's that low, I don't know. Uh, I'd probably put that one you know, about 70, I would think. Um, Hand of Fear, really? 101? Uh, it's got to be in the top 40, I would say. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I, I don't think I have anything else to really comment on. Uh, they, they all look eh, about right to me. Okay, well, I think we need to move up the list. And just to say that uh, Tatted Flag, who's joined us, has put in text a, a little bit of a story about uh, Sylvester McCoy. I don't know whether I need to read that out on audio, but... Um, uh, had some connection with uh, an area where he lived in London before. Uh, thank you for that little story. We mostly read that. And he's a, an absolute fan of the third Doctor, which in the two sections we've done on this uh, uh, Doctor Who magazine list, uh, the um, third Doctor hasn't really featured. But as I said to him in text, um, you'll have to wait until next week when we have Inferno at 18, Spearford from Space at 28, Green Death at 30, so a lot to look forward to. Tattered flag if you join us next week. Ian, are you thereabouts to uh, move us on the next 20 up? It's your job. <laughs> I don't know. No, did I? No, you oh, did the Lord, first screw. I did the second screw. I swore I did. I'll do it. I'll do it. Well done. Darth to it. Brilliant. Excellent. Okay. Nice. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> we'll have another volunteer later, won't we, Jeff, as well? Yeah. Yeah, Rick Wall will do it. <laughs> no, I'd be glad to do it. Thanks. Well, this time around, of course, at 100 on the new list, 86 on the original list is The Massacre of St. Bartholomew's Eve, followed by Resurrection of the Daleks, which was 93, is now 99. Then the Androids of Tara, which was 98. Now, I'm sorry, which was 95 and is now 98. Then a Christmas Carol, which is of course new to the poll and has ended up at 97. Then the Ambassadors of Death, 
Wow, that was at 90, now is at 96. Uh, then Time of the Doctor, of course, the newest episode that has started on this poll at 95. Then Keeper of Trocken, which was 70, is now 94. Then Curse of Peladon, uh, higher, I guess, than its um, sequel at um, 82 on the old poll, 93 now. Then Planet of Evil, which was 84, now 92. Then The Girl Who Waited and The Lodger, coming in at 91 and 90, respectively. Then Tooth and Claw, which was 52, now is 89, followed by uh, the new entry, A Good Man Goes to War, at 88. At 87 comes The Abominable Snowmen, which was 59, now is 87. Then The Unquiet Dead, which uh, was at 54, now at 86. Uh, Followed by The Tenth Planet at 55 on the old poll, 85 on the new one. Then Marco Polo, which used to be 65, now is 84. Then two new entries, The Crimson Horror and The End of Time. Remembering, of course, uh, the new entries include the last little bit of the Tenet era. And then followed by Planet of the Spiders, which is fascinating to me that Planet of the Spiders and End of Time have ended up next to each other since they kind of have the same regeneration reason. Uh, And then that's where we stop, I suppose, at 81. Excellent. That'll please Tutted Flood that Planet of the Spiders is there. Um, Rick Wall, we haven't heard from you for some time. Do you want to go first on this section? Um. Hmm. Actually, it's one of these things that I have to think about um, um, uh, first, and uh, I'll chime in later. Uh, I'd like to hear somebody else's opinion because there are okay. a few that I have strong feelings about, and there are some that I'm not so sure about. So. Okay, well, I'll go first, and then maybe he might like to follow. He usually does. Um, A Christmas Carol, I think I'll mention that first, because that's probably, to me, the best of the Christmas specials. I'm not a fan of the Christmas specials, but I did like the Christmas special, even though when you think about it and actually analyse it, it's it's still a bit dismal what happens to one of the main characters in it. And there there is one little silly plot, but... um, there were things about it that I did like, um, so that, that's not too bad. Um, Keeper of Tracken, uh, well, Ambassadors of Death, that's, um, again, another third Doctor story. Supposedly, uh, John Pertwee's favourite story uh, of Doctor Who, because he's up against people with faces uh, that can actually have a, you know, interact with. So, uh, and he thought that was a noble race that he was um, up against. So I think that was one of his favourites. Keeper of Tracken, uh, do excellently like that. Um, of course, we have the, the, the actor who will become, uh, Anthony Ainsley, who will become the master, uh, playing two parts in this one. That's great. Uh, uh, Curse of Peladon, uh, third Doctor story. And I think, the, is that, um, I think that's the one where Patrick Troughton's son played the monster, but I could be wrong, of course. Uh, I like Planet of Evil. Girl Who Waited, I know that's uh, one of uh, 
the actresses better turnouts for the the role and um, the girl who waited and the they used very creatively the uh, the centre uh, at Wales the uh, government building uh, lodger I can take a leave in fact I didn't like aspects of the lodger I didn't like the um, the the way they had the doctor not seeming to know how to behave around humours that seemed to me strange to me. Uh, admittedly, the tenth Doctor and the eleventh Doctor don't have to react differently, but it still seemed wrong. Tooth and Claw, uh, an excellent episode, and again, that's one that somebody in the room will probably have a lot to say about. Um, but um, yep, we get reference to uh, Jamie McCrimmon uh, in that one, and uh, we get the lovely scene that is mirrored later on. Uh, you know where we've got the their faces pressed up against the wall. Um, we've got some really good um, CGI work on that one as well, um, and lots of great actors. I don't I don't know why Tooth and Claw is below Unquiet Dead. I would definitely put the Unquiet Dead lower than this. I would put that the Unquiet Dead down below all these. I think. Uh, Ten Planet, it's amazing that Ten Planet and Marco Polo get such high ratings. It's not because they don't deserve them, but because there's so little really for people to hang their hats on, as it were. The Crimson Aura. Um quite like that one. Uh, uh, Planet of Spiders, I do like Planet of Spiders. Um, I think that's really good, and I think that's um, a very good Sarah Jane story. Of course, we get a little bit of an upset there with um, Captain Yates, don't we? Are Captain Yates trying to get back in the fold, as it were? Uh, but I, I do like that story indeed. So, yeah, one I think I picked out the ones I like there. I like Androids of Tara, that's okay. But Christmas Carol, um, Keeper of Tracken, Tooth and Claw... Oh, Good Man Goes to War. I suppose that was that was good. I mean, the, that was when Doctor Who was getting really complicated. And for those people listening, we're in the, the 72 to 75% range of voting here. Um, the Crimson Horror, again, perhaps that shouldn't be as high as that. Planet of the Spiders. I think that's my contribution on this one. But there are, you know, there's no there's no real bad ones in there, I don't think. Ian? I see him put something yeah. in check. Oh, there he is. Oh, no, I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, yeah. I'm here. Um, yeah, I'm not terribly fond of the Crimson Horror either. Um, but my big problems in this this section of the list have have got to be uh, uh, the Lodger and the Girl Who Waited, which are complete and utter. If I may steal a uh, a word from Darth uh, Dictionary, complete and utter crap. Um, that don't even deserve to be anywhere in the in in, in the section of the list. They need to be like well, somewhere on page two. Um, they're terrible, terrible episodes. Um, especially the girl who waited. It's just it it's just bad, <laughs> badly acted. It's just awful episode. And I can't believe it's even even here. Um, I was wondering where it had gotten to. Um, yeah, that's, that, that just surprises me. Um, let's see, I'm trying to, trying to 
pick out things and uh, uh survival and ghost light i i'd probably put them further down the list but i personally like them i like ghost light because it was hello such, at the, hello hello where are hello? those from hello where are those what? from oh i've gone too high sorry never mind we're up eighty up to eighty one, hundred to eighty one. Yeah, I went in the next two. <laughs> it was where my mouse was sitting. I was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Find a spider's on there. Yeah. Find a spider. There we go. Oh, well, there we go. Uh, that's that's one mistake. <laughs> it's normally Dave that's supposed to be doing these, but hey, I'll I'll take one for the team. Take one for the team. Um Yeah, I'm quite dead. I can't believe that that's their because I mean, at the time when it was on, I was like, "Oh, cool, yeah, Doctor Who's back and everything." But now it's—I just don't see it as being that good of an episode. Um, we have the Gwyneth connection there, don't we? Yeah, but that—that's not realized until you know later. And, and mm. um, Good Man Goes to War, another awful episode. Um, Tooth and Claw, I completely agree. That's that's one I'm fine with. That that that's good right there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, at the end of time, I would I'd, I'd put uh, higher up the list, you know, towards the top. That's probably it for now. If, if there's anything I kind of agree or disagree with, it. oh, of course, you know, um, Love Keeper of Truck and that whole block, you know. What about the Christmas one? Did you mention that? Oh, well, that's awful and all. That's 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 flying sharks and 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 dead yeah. dead girls at the end of it. No, I didn't mind the flying sharks. I just didn't like them pulling carriages. But there you go. Well, flying sharks. I like the idea that they were swimming in the ether. I like the idea of that. The fish. Yeah, I I, I hated what what basically the doctor kills somebody in it, and mm. I'm not happy about that. Deliberately so. He deliberately kills somebody, and I'm just not fond of that. It's 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 murder, and yeah, <laughs> don't like it. Um, yeah, somebody next. Um, otherwise, I'm gonna start dwelling. <laughs> Are you ready Jeff. to go yet, Rick Wall or Jeff? Right, we'll go Jeff, and then we'll go to Rick. Well, let's see here. Um, I need to bring up the list again. There we go. Um, looking at this list, this part of the list, I should say, yeah, I agree with you, uh, Dave, Christmas Carol, uh, I think that was the best of the Christmas episodes, uh, just barely beating out the Christmas invasion. I really enjoyed that one. Um, should be higher in the list, uh, probably up around 60, um, going up the list a bit, a little bit, uh, yeah, in, in this range, I have to disagree with you a lot, Ian. Uh, I really did like the girl who waited. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> don't don't die over there, Ian. <laughs> I'm being bad. I, I like the premise of it. Yeah, the the acting was at times not great in it, but I, I like the premise of it. Uh, I thought it was a good story. And should have been much higher. Now that was a Doctor Light episode, if I recall. He wasn't in it very much. They had a lot of shots. No, there was Amy. I mean, oh, 
<laughs> of the Doctor in in the TARDIS. Uh, he was mostly in the TARDIS in, in that story, uh, not acting directly with the other actors. So um, I don't know if that made it uh, lower for you in, in your estimation or not. I, I know that the uh, the acting did, as well as the fact that the story surround or was centered on Amy. Yeah. But I, I don't know. That's if, the main problem with it. <laughs> okay. 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 Well, moving on. I I, I think it should be higher, uh, maybe seventy or something like that, some somewhere in that range. Um, Tooth and Claw. I have problems with that one. Uh, I I just didn't buy the whole chummy back and forth between Ten and Rose. Uh, it it kind oh, of oh the frivolous com- yeah the frivolous conversation you mean yeah yeah um, we're trying to get the uh, the, the the queen we're trying to get the queen yeah, yeah. right I, I just didn't care queen. for it I I didn't care for that it it kind of ruined it for me I I liked I liked other aspects of the episode I um but that just kind of did it in for me it's probably where it should be um. Before it was much higher in the in the prior list. Uh, Good man goes to war. I adore that story. Uh, I think I should be much higher than it is. Probably like 35 or something in that area. Uh, really like it. Uh, I like how they bring all the characters in. They got this this army and they kind of defeat the whole army easily uh, through trickery and uh, deception. I just thought it was great. Um, the Unquiet Dead, uh, yeah, it, it deserved to come down. It should not have been up in the 50s prior. I, in fact, I might put it a little bit lower than that. It was an all right story, an average story. Uh, the series had just come back in 2005. Uh, it's one of the weaker Eccleston stories, I think. Um See the the end of time. I that's kind of like my gridlock, Dave. Uh, the more I see it, the more I like it, and uh, I think it should be much higher in the list. I, when when I first saw it, I probably would have put it much lower than what it currently is at uh, 82. Uh, probably more like 122 or something like that, but. Uh, Every time I see it, the more I like it, and I, especially for the Wilf scenes, uh, Wilf uh, was yeah. terrific in the story with Ten, and that was a great pairing. I thought a great Doctor and companion um, pairing. Uh, I'd probably put that up like fifty or, or something in that area. Now it 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 is a good story, and um, yeah. I think that's all I want to comment on in that group of 20. Okay. Great wall. All right. Um, hmm. I'm going to disagree with the Christmas story uh, like Ian. I agree with him about uh, the doctor killing off a character. Uh, really? And uh, turning in, uh, turning the character into a Scrooge-type character? Really? Would the doctor really do something like that? I, you know, I was like, huh? Okay? This seems like really out of character to me. Um, 
but um, uh, you know that that was the script, and uh, you know I'm not a member of the production team, so I can't really. It wasn't so much that I like Christmas Carol, is that uh, I don't particularly like the Christmas stories anyway. That to me seemed to be one of the better ones. Yeah. Um, let's see what else. Um, Planet of Spiders um, uh, should be higher. Um, I might be a little prejudiced because my second favorite doctor is uh, partly. They are tattered flag. They are. There you go. <laughs> um, so uh, that should that should be higher. Um, Let's see. Other than that, I really don't have any uh, qualms with the... Although I do like uh, Good Man Goes to War. I thought that was a pretty good uh, um, uh, episode. I like uh, the way they humiliated the colonel. He humiliated the colonel. Uh, I, uh, uh, I want them to go past your house and say, oh, Colonel Runaway lives there. Uh, and I kind of chuckled at that. Um, but uh, no, other than that, eh, no major qualms other than what I've just mentioned. Okay, Darth? Uh, well, the thing that this particular grouping makes me the happiest about is that it shows that uh, podcasters, even the most uh, well-publicized podcasters, have very little effect upon the opinions of the readers of Doctor Who magazine. Because as we know, Radio Free Scaro has been on a, what would it be now, four-year campaign, five-year campaign, to tell us all that uh, end of time is horrible, and what we find out is when it gets its first placement, it's actually kind of up there. I mean, I, I will take that placement as being great, actually. Um, I, I love that. I love the fact also, again, and I mentioned this when I read it out, that it is with Planet of the Spiders, because I think that the two stories have a lot in common. Not just the, the you know, that the reason for regeneration is radiation poisoning, but of course, you know, that there's this implied in, in Planet of the Spiders, but actually shown in End of Time, relatively long periods of time in which the doctor can die. And that makes sense because, you know, he's basically got some form of cancer, really. You know, exposure to radiation has made his cells slowly start to die, and so he has to go on a long trip just like Pertwee did. And, uh, I, you know, there are other commonalities. There's the, the nature of it being sort of excessive. Um, both of them are sort of indulgences for their respective doctors. Um both of them give their respective doctors a better platform on which to act. I mean, the script gives them uh, some some great moments uh, of acting. So I, I think it's great that th these are where they are. And, of course, you know, th don't forget, Rick Ball, you might be disappointed in the placement of Planet of the Spires and think that it should be higher, but it's jumped by 11%. Um, which is pretty impressive. It's, it is one of the faster movers on the poll. Um, so True, I'll take that. but you know, like I said, I'm a fan of uh, sure. Hurtley, so Absolutely, and I can understand why you'd want to go higher. There, there's so many. You know, Planet of Spiders is one of those 
serials that is remembered quite rightly for indulging John Pertwee's love of vehicles. And so there are, you know, overindulgent um, chase scenes in it that are typical of his era. But the thing is, it is also got some great dialogue in it. I mean, really some bits of snappy stuff. Um, also, you know, a great message of uh, being tolerant of people who have different mental abilities. Some, you know, so that and, and you know, it's got sort of a, a, a Buddhist thing going on in it a little bit. So you get this, um, you know, Barry Letts on speed, really. Um, great stuff. Really great stuff. But I, I'm I'm. I guess pleased that it has grown in appreciation because I think for a long time fandom just sort of regarded it as being okay uh, rather than actually having a lot of sterling moments. And let's not forget, you know, it's the, the, the culmination of the first story arc, the first real big story arc in Doctor Who, the whole, you know, what it, let's get to Metabolus or Metabolus, however you want to say it. Oh, um, and, you know, that actually turns out to be a satisfying payoff. The whole thing with this blue crystal is actually really satisfying. You know, that it becomes the thing ultimately, um, you know, that passes to the hands of Joe Grant, that the doctor has been, you know, trying to take her, and then Sarah Jane ultimately to Metabulous 3, and that ultimately that's where he meets his doom. So you get this nicely layered thing. What the hell is Metabulous 3? What is it? Why is the doctor trying to get there? And then it is the place where he dies. I just think, or whatever, gets fatally wounded. Uh, I just think it's great. You know, a really nice bit of plotting that, that went on there. But anyway, other things that are cool about this this list of 20 is that most of the things in here that aren't new, of course, um, have increased in popularity. And, and one of the more impressive things here is the Massacre. You know, Massacre has got nothing. It doesn't even have telesnaps. Uh, it doesn't have a single scene. It doesn't have... Uh, even, you know, sensor clips that they found in Australia, it's got nothing. And yet, well, I, I suppose there's one promotional picture. Song? It. Hmm? The one with the song? No. It's got, it's, there's nothing except for um, the actual, you know, dialogue track uh, that you can find and buy. And I am, I am heartened to see that it has increased by the amount that it has. It is a fantastic story. It's um, great that it is seen as sort of in the same basic area as Marco Polo, which is really quite the classic. Um, so I'm I'm glad that it is where it is, that it has increased as much as it has. I think that's you know great for people who appreciate what Stephen was trying to do because it's obviously really heavy Stephen episode, um, and and also great for you know people who can appreciate. William Hartnell as a broader actor than just the doctor, because of course he gets to do a double act in here. So really good there. I think, um, you know, you see Keeper Trocken basically holding ground or maybe slightly increasing a little bit. That's really cool. Um, I, the ambassadors of death is fascinating to me. And there, I think we might be talking about, um, an increase cause that is a pretty dramatic rise. Um, I think we may be talking about the influence of the recently released DVD and especially, you know, all the work that went into the color restoration and everything. Uh, that's impressive to me. It's one of my favorite Pertwee's. In fact, it probably is my favorite Pertwee. Well, that or Mind of Evil, one of those two. Um, so I would kind of 
maybe think a little bit higher, but, uh, you know, for it to have increased as much as it has, that's just really awfully impressive. So that's good. The weird thing here is the resurrection of the Daleks. That has actually increased in popularity, which I don't understand. I mean, I love Peter Davison, but good Lord, what a mess this particular story is. I, I still don't really understand most of it. It is just like, it's like every one of those 80s, Dalek story. I think they should be lumped together, resurrection, revelation, remembrance, throw them at the bottom of the pile because they don't make any sense, any of them. Uh, so this is not a just an anti-Seven rant. This is the entirety of what happened to Davros uh, after Destiny. I don't get. I mean, I really don't. Um, and I, I don't understand how that has actually increased in popularity. Because certainly there's no DVD effect there. The DVD's been out for a little bit of time. I I don't know. No, no. The special edition came out. That's what happened. The revisited came out. And, and there's a David Tennant documentary on that. So it's possible that people who were fans of David Tennant uh, gravitated towards that particular story so that they could see the David Tennant documentary. They saw Resurrection again. They might have, I don't know, improved their rating of that. Hard to tell. I'm glad that Keeper Trocken is still up here. Keeper Trocken is one of the best, maybe the best, uh, story of the classic era in terms of production design. Love the sets for Keeper Trocken. Love the whole vibe of Keeper Trocken. Clearly, it's one of the two gems of that last Tom Baker season. I think it's the best Adric story, for whatever that's worth. Um <laughs> And, of course, it introduces us to Sarah Sutton, who, uh, you know, outside of a few other people, maybe, she's, she's well, she's, I don't know, she's one of my favorite companions uh, who, you know, I've already talked about and how her character got screwed. She starts at a really good place, um, you know, so you can't fault Johnny Byrne, who's the creator of the character, for not giving her somewhere to go from where she was. It's the fault of other writers, mainly Bidmead, for ensuring that her character does not go where she should have gone from the sort of high place that Johnny Byrne put her at. Um, Tooth and Claw, you know, that has dropped a little bit, not as much as it at first seems here. Uh, I, I don't really understand why, to me, Tooth and Claw should be... It, it, it is... One of those things, like Smith and Jones, that if you put it in front of people and they don't like it, they are not going to like Doctor Who. I think it is definitional Doctor Who. And I think the only reason it may fall here is because some people really don't like the chumminess of, uh, and, and the arrogance, I guess, is what people tend to find of the Tenth Doctor and Rose. I think it's fantastic. Uh, and I think it sets up a nice character arc that is not remarked upon enough about series two this this notion that um the tenth doctor and rose are too you know above it all they are they are adventurers who are not actually a part of wherever they happen to land and so therefore they are you know kind of smug about the way they interact with the different people that they find i think that's great i think that gives another element to the doctor especially to david Tennant's doctor um that ultimately as we see, is why he dies. I mean, he all, you know, it's, it, that is, goes all the way through to the end of time. This is kind of where it starts. I like, you know, I like the explanation of 
this is why Torchwood starts. I think this is such an important episode in terms of the Doctor Who universe and the ramifications that flow from Tooth and Claw. And the behind-the-scenes story on this thing is amazing. You know, the fact that he was... Uh, you know, uh, Stephen Fry pulled out of writing the episode that he was going to write, and so therefore, all of a sudden, Russell C. Davies, over like three days, has to bang something out. This is what he comes up with. It's a little gem. I, it shouldn't be as low as this, but whatever. As for the other things, I, you know, I really strongly disagree with Ian. This is this is the part of the Eleventh Doctor's era uh, when we talk about the girl who waited, where I think finally. Um, we're starting to get something uh, in terms of the relationship of Amy to Rory. And uh, Girl of Waited is really fantastic. I would argue 91 is too low. Uh, I would probably put Girl of Waited as in top 50 somewhere. Um, but The Lodger, you know, to me, it's a little... I don't know what to make of the lodger because I'm, I'm too invested in the comic from which it came. I'm also just I can never buy the cluelessness that uh, is apparent, though perhaps not real, in the Eleventh Doctor's relationship with people. Uh, I think you know I need to get get rid of some prejudices on that episode because I think I need to let go of my original impressions of it and you know, look at that in the context of the entirety of the 11th Doctor's adventure. And when I do that, I think I would probably be better off with that episode because I would actually be able to genuinely see that as a bit of acting. That the, the 11th Doctor obviously knows what soccer is, obviously knows you know how to deal with people, is clearly attuned to how people fall in love uh, and therefore knows a great deal about human nature. It's just that he is acting so as to appear to be a neutral sounding board, really, uh, to allow for that relationship to flutter. The problem with the lodger, of course, though, that you can't get rid of, even if you make for those allowances, is the ending, which is never adequately explained within the Eleventh Doctor's story. Why is there a TARDIS-like thing on top of this building? Uh, yes, it's something to do with the silence, apparently, but what exactly it is to do with the silence, we don't really know. We never find out. We get a tease of it later at the top of season six, but basically it's not explained. And so ultimately, you know, the ending, this is, you know, Love Conquers All ending, which unfortunately is almost exactly replicated next time that we see Craig in uh, closing time. So ultimately, even if you can get over the, the, the strangeness of the doctor's performance here, what you can't get over is how the plot is resolved. And for that reason, it really does deserve to be in the bottom 50. Um, Christmas Carol got to disagree there. I think Christmas Carol is fantastic. Um, I am thinking it should be, again, kind of top 50 because i got to tell you, my favorite Murray Gold experience, to be sure, that song is fantastic. The Catherine Jenkins turns out to be a surprisingly good actor. I absolutely I, agree with I absolutely, yeah, absolutely. She really is a revelation in terms of her acting skills. Um which maybe should be no surprise because, after all, she is an uh, part of opera is acting. It's just that I had never seen any of her opera, so therefore I can't, you know, couldn't form an opinion. 
Um, but I really disagree with the comments of the doctor wouldn't kill anybody. That's crap. Of course he would kill people. Um, the I think it is a natural uh, and correct character judgment on the Eleventh Doctor because, of course, you've got this the influence of Sarah Jane Smith on him. I mean, it depends on how importantly you take School Reunion, right? The the entire lesson of School Reunion is things do die. Nature does go on, and part of nature's cycle is that people die. And all in the world the Eleventh Doctor is doing within the scope of uh, Christmas Carol is letting this girl die. I mean, it, there was no way around it. Uh, that whole contraption, she was sick, right? And her illness was not able to be remedied. She's only got seven days that the doctor uses them up. is not killing her. That is just the natural expiry of her life. And at least what he does is makes those last days incredibly memorable. So I, yeah, I just, I just don't buy that. It's, it's not like dinosaurs on the spaceship where he literally does point blank kill somebody. It is, yeah. I mean, that is, I would agree. That's a little bit out of character there, but what is, this is merely, I guess you would call it euthanasia, but it's not even that because she just, doesn't have any life left in her. I mean, it's not its not ending her life prematurely. It's ending her life as it was going to end. You I know? My big, big problem is that they never explain the fact that, and it can be done very easily, that it's incurable, mm-hmm. that there's no way of saving her. I mean, in um, oh, the, the two-parter, uh, what is it, uh, with the gangers, he cures that woman. He just reaches into the TARDIS console, pulls out those vials, and says, "Here, take this. You'll be fine." They're, they're almost you know? people, but that's yeah, actually, um, you know, that he, that he just automatically had a cure for her sitting in the in the console. Yeah. This, if they'd said, you know, there's no way to save her, let's make the best of the rest of her life, I would have been happy with that. But it just seems oh. kind of be like it doesn't get. The doctor never explains that there's no cure or anything, and you know, it, it, it's obvious by the way he re- he acts that he knows what he's doing the whole time and so I'm just mad that there's never an explanation mm. that the reason why he's doing this is you know, because there's no cure you know interesting I, I just I guess I never when I watched it thought it was anything other than incurable um, mainly because I guess I associate I mean I associate cryogenics with people trying to freeze themselves until there's a point at which the cure could happen. And I guess you could say, you know, if you've got a time machine, you know, maybe he's able to go ahead in time to the point where the cure exists and therefore bring it back, I suppose. Uh, But I don't know. It just never occurred to me that he was doing anything other than letting her die in the number of days that she naturally had anyway. But you know, helping her to have a really great, you know, end-of-life experience, really. I guess I can see that, though, because, I mean, this is one of the problems when you have a time uh, travel-based show is that almost any problem, if you think about it, could probably be solved by going forward in time, figuring out what the answer to the problem is, and then coming back and, uh, you know, solving it, sort of. But the thing about the almost people, I mean, that never occurred to me because I think of it in, I mean, 
if you're watching it in order, which I would have with this one, uh, All Those People is in the future, so therefore that hadn't infected, as it were, my my viewing of it. But I guess if you look back on it after that, yeah, it's a little bit weird. Hmm. Yeah. But good stuff here. The only thing that I really am not digging at all is the uh, Tenth of Planet. I, I think that that should be much lower. I think we're only getting... You know, high placement. I mean, I, I'm, it really hasn't fallen that much. You know, to go from 55 to 85, it's only dropped 30 places. You've added 41. It's not actually gone down. Um, so I don't understand that. Tenth Planet is really not that good. Um, and it's whatever. I don't. I that is hard for me to understand, especially in light of the fact. The weird thing here is while you've got um, Massacre making some great inroads. The Abominable Snowman actually comes down uh, a little bit, and I don't get that. Because um, Abominable Snowman is one of the classics of the Troughton era, and I would have thought that would have um, stayed up. I guess it's maybe being displaced by um, Web of Fear, which is probably above this, because, of course, Web of Fear just came out. Uh, but really, Abominable Snowman, of the two great intelligence things, the Bible Summon is way better than Web of Fear, in my mind, at least in terms of the story. But um, another, in, the final interesting thing I think about this grouping is the Mark Gatiss story. We saw before last week how most of Mark Gatiss' stuff are right in a pack at the bottom of the list, more or less. I think they're not at the very bottom, but they're in certainly the bottom quartile. Um and then you've got this little grouping too, which means that the highest rated um, Mark Gatiss thing is uh, Crimson Horror, uh, which to me is about right because I think of all of the Mark Gatiss stuff, that's probably the one that entertains me the most. Though I guess Unquiet Dead, I mean, it's nice that they're kind of together because that's a hard call, really. Which one of those two is better? Unquiet Dead is probably a better story throughout and probably makes more sense. Uh, but I think, for me, Crimson Horror is just that little bit more entertaining because of the unusual story structure, because the Doctor shows up so late in it, uh, because there's that great little uh, vignette part of it where you do a flashback in a really interesting way, and, and because, of course, you know, you got Diana Rigg in it, who's just awesome throughout. Um, so I, I have no problem with that being where it is. It's just interesting that... You've got Phantom apparently dividing him, uh, Gatiss's work, into two different distinct clumps, uh, with these two being the obvious top ones, and then most of his output being regarded as well below par, if par being is 50%. Um, so that's that's the fascinating kind of thing to see that happening. But again, big story. End of Time actually turns out to be a good episode. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm not sure whether um, Jeff can talk at the moment because Jeff was going to go and move us on to the next section. So um, perhaps I should uh, take it. We're, we're hoping to <clears throat> excuse me, stop at... Um, the next one, aren't we? Um, so we've just got one lot of 20. You okay for time, Ian? I know uh, with its Father's Day, which we forgot to mention at the beginning. Um, 
Yeah, I realise that. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for confirming it in text. So let let me uh, read the next uh, grouping, shall we? Shall I? Um, at eighty one, uh, up from seventy six, we've got uh, w was seventy six to say may not be up because of the numbers go slight. Uh, seventy nine uh, was eighty is survival. Seventy eight was sixty one. Uh, 100,000 years BC, uh, Aka, an unearthly child. Uh, 77 uh, was 75, the time meddler. 76, the mind of evil from 92. 75, uh, enlightenment, that was 72. 74, stones of blood uh, was 67. 73, the mind robber was 60. 72, rose was 63. Uh, these are all above 75%, by the way. Uh, uh, 71, uh, Fires of Pompeii, uh, was 56. Um, at 70, Revelation of the Daleks, was 46. Uh, 67, Fury from the Deep, was 41. Um, 68, New, of course, The Snowman, one of the other Christmas specials. 67, New, Angels Take Manhattan. 66, Father's Day. Yes, I just mentioned that. Father's Day up from 49. 65, Day of the Daleks was 71. 64, Carnival of Monsters. There's a third uh, story for Tattered Flag uh, was 62. Uh, 63, Kinder was 69. Uh, 62 um, was 53, Legopolis. Let me just go back to the bottom of the next bit. 61, uh, the Aztecs was uh, 57, and that's the last one of those. Um, so there's the next group of uh, 20. So uh, I know Ian's, uh, well, Jeff, uh, again, let me have a look. Where's Rickwall? Have we lost Rickwall? We've dropped off Rickwall. Do you want to go first this time, Darth? Because you went last on the last lot. Or do you want to oh, go wow. breath? Um, yeah, I can go first, I guess. Um, doo -doo -doo. So, one of the things that's, again, just starkly obvious about this thing is the improvement of uh, the, the Mara stuff. I mean, Kinda, that is a massive increase in its appreciation. I mean, before, it it, it was still kind of high. I mean, it was still, you know, 34% or maybe really 34.5% uh of stories were considered better than it. Now it's only 26% of stories were better than it. So it's almost in the top quartile. Um, I, again, I can't help but think that it has to have something to do with the, the support that it has gotten from the current production team. Um, and, and also, you know, again, the, the, it, it kind of doesn't make any sense if you're going to rate Snake Dance higher because that DVD came out most recently. You've got to kind of also, well, I guess they, they came out together, didn't they? Or at least there was a reboxing of them in the Mara Tales. Um, impressive. It's got to be because of the influence of people who produce this show. If, if they're going to say it's good, it must be good. And, you know, what's fascinating, too, about Kenda, you got to remember, Kenda in the original season 19 poll. So this is taken in sort of late 1982. Kenda was dead last among Doctor Who magazine viewers. And Kenda's 
has been a very slow burn, but it is almost every time that a poll has been taken, it keeps getting a little bit higher, a little bit higher, and this time, you know, there's a massive jump because it's not, you know, it went from 60 nine in 2009 to 63 now and yet we've added 41 stories so it's a real big jumper um just incredible actually i entirely disagree with legopolis this high that's ridiculous i don't know what in the world people are thinking legopolis makes no sense it's a terrible ending for the fourth doctor the way it's realized i mean i know it's memorable you know uh but to me that in line that is so often quoted you know, it's the end, but the moment has been prepared for is the most ironic statement in the history of Doctor Who because there's nothing particularly prepared about the ending of the fourth Doctor. It is slapdash. It is horrible. It is not the way that that Doctor should have gone out. It doesn't even make any sense uh, in light of later things that happen. You know, he doesn't drop from all that far. And even if you were human and you dropped from that apparent distance, because it doesn't seem that high... Um, you would probably survive that with a few broken bones. I don't understand. I mean, maybe it's because the the and this would be the fall of the production team. Maybe it's because that is meant to be much higher up than what it looks like. It doesn't look that high up, really. Well, it must um, be about eighty feet. I mean, the, the dish the, the dish is is what one hundred and fifty feet high, and it's at the halfway point. I. See, that, that that scale is not adequately conveyed to me. Every time I see that scene, I think, really? What the hell's going on? Um, well, it's the biggest radio telescope in the world at the time, apart from the one in the south, southern hemisphere. I, well, again, I think you're applying sort of real-world knowledge to that. Uh, because right, it's, okay. not, it's not actually meant to be what it is in real life. It is, it is the Pharos project, which doesn't exist in real life. Right, right, right. right. Uh, so who knows what it? You can only go off the visual information you have on the screen, and it's not adequately conveyed. Plus, you know, th- th- that is the closest that has ever come to a doctor tripping on a brick and falling. Well, okay, no, I guess the sixth doctor is the closest to tripping and falling and then regenerating, but um, it still is. You know, when you compare it to the way the third doctor goes out. Or even the way the second Doctor goes out. Or even the way the first Doctor goes out. There's just no interesting thing about it. Uh, it it's not even... Like if it were directly that the the Master killed the Doctor. That would be awesome. But it's not very direct. The Master pushes a button. The, the thing turns on its axis. And there he jumps off. And then, the, you know, beyond that, beyond the way that he regenerates, it's the, the question of what is this plan that the Master has? How does he think that he is talking to the entire universe uh, from you know somewhere in London, it's ridiculous. Um, and, and again, I think that it's the bidmediism of trying to put the science of it first and not worrying about the drama of it. Because again, you get a little bit from Nissa in here that he she knows that he has killed her father, but the but it ridiculously instead of it being Nissa with the fourth doctor in the uh, Pharos project. It's Tegan who has no particular gripe with the master. I mean, sort of, okay, she killed Auntie Vanessa and that sort of thing, you know, whatever. There's a little bit there, but to assume the form of your father and to not have Nessa in there fighting him, he honestly, if it should have been written so that both of 
the the two female companions are in there just trying to claw this guy's eyes out really and uh, it, it really frustrates me that Legopolis is this high because it misses so much it really does um but it, i think one of the things that's very interesting about this grouping is and this will make um uh tattered flag happy you know because he mentioned oh he likes Pertwee and stuff. What's great is this is, you know, a lot of Pertwee is in this grouping right here. And I think that's what we'll find in the poll is that although Pertwee is not in the top 10, um, he is really, most of his stories are from this point onward, right? They're from about, um, you know, the 80 mark forward. And that's really interesting to me that he, he is from from about 80 to about I think the highest one is Inferno, and that's like at 18 or whatever. You'll, you'll find a lot of the Pertwee era in which means that next to the Ninth Doctor, which is a very short era, the um, poll reveals that the Third Doctor has the most consistently highly rated stories, right? There aren't a whole lot of really bad Pertwee stories. They're mostly, you know, here in the the top of the second quartile to the bottom of the first quartile. So, you know, somewhere from about 17% to about, I don't know, 30% or somewhere in there is where you find most of the Pertwee. And that's really interesting that it's, it's so consistently regarded. Um, the things that are kind of interesting here, I think that we're progressing, except for that, you know, you look at the uh, key to time season and you think about how each one of those stories shakes out. I think we're kind of, except for the bobble, I think, of Armageddon factor somehow being higher than Power of Kroll. Basically, we've been quietly counting down to what I think is the right order for the Key to Time series. And we have the Stones of Blood at this particular level here. That makes sense to me. I think the Stones of Blood is... Um, I don't... I get, I think we still got one left. I think Reboss Operation might be higher. I'm not entirely sure. But it certainly makes sense to me that Stones of Blood is up here. I really like that, and it has moderately increased as well from last time. Enlightenment, I've never understood. I don't get why people like it. I, I mean, it, Peter Davison never looked better than in Enlightenment. His hair length is just the right length. Um, and, and I think that actually, for once, Tegan looks you know, feminine or whatever. that uh, That's not the right word. But she is allowed to have an actual costume, I guess is what I'm saying, an actual change of wardrobe so that she doesn't look like she's the um, uh, air, air hostess. Air she, doesn't look like, she doesn't look like whatever the hell she looked like when after, Negan, after Nissa left. I mean, I don't know what that 60, uh, 80s color print with the tight skirt thing. I don't understand what that design was about. But here, you know, she's given sort of period uh, clothes and she, you know, looks like a human being. She looks like somebody that you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. That is a, a an actual piece of clothing that, given what the, the circumstances of the story are, makes sense. And I don't think she has another time like that except maybe in The Awakening where she's dressed up, you know, in retro clothes. So it's interesting, and and of course, you know, this is a big story for Mark Strickson, and he's okay in it, and I mean, I kind of get that, but the Enlightenment as a storyline, I just, whatever. I know people like it. I don't 
particularly understand why, but there we are. Um, Mind of Evil, you know, personally, it's I would put it a little bit higher. I, I can appreciate why Carnival of Monsters is higher than it. I don't particularly agree with that assessment, but Carnival of Monsters is a hard story not to like uh, because there are a lot of good, interesting, moving parts within it. Um, I am interested in the Fury from the Deep being where it is. It has fallen a little bit, but it is still relatively high for a story that largely doesn't exist anymore. Um, and I think that's I think that's cool because there are a lot of good things that are in Fury from the Deep. Obviously, the first appearance of the Sonic Screwdriver, the um, the really good and largely underrated ending of the Victoria character that actually makes her screaming and her basic immaturity make a lot more sense. Um, I guess I lied before when I said that the first story arc was the the Metabolus Three thing. The first story arc really is. Victoria, what happens to Victoria? Because her, her, you get a, an entire progression of her character from being orphaned to finding a new family again. This is where she finds a new family. It kind of makes sense. It's it's well realized. There's some um, scary visuals, I suppose, that remain of uh, a couple of the characters in episode one or two. There's good stuff that's going on in it, but uh, I'm 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 kind of surprised it has fallen a little bit. I would have thought it might have stayed a little higher, but again, I guess you're getting some trout and displacement from Web of Fear and from um, Enemy of the World, which are higher up now. Um, and I guess, you know, the rest of it kind of makes some sense. Angels Take Manhattan. Oh my God, where is Mike when we need him? Why is he not on uh, voice? Because I got to tell you, Angels of Manhattan or Angels Take Manhattan it really does not perform well on rewatch. It is completely illogical. The ending makes no sense. It is horrible. Really, really quite horrible. It is only redeemed by the fact that there's obviously great location work. The The cinematography is excellent in it. The acting is pretty good, I guess, in it. Uh, but still, the basic ending to the Amy and Roy story makes no sense. Nothing about it makes any sense whatsoever when you think about it. Um, and, and therefore, it's just, uh, it's hard to watch. To me, very sub-poor. This is much higher than it should be. I would put this, uh, good Lord, what, uh, maybe one of the 10 worst stories of all time because of how absolutely unsatisfying it is as an ending to a story arc. Um and I guess we stopped at what? Aztecs? I don't know that I would put the Aztecs... Uh, I understand why the Aztecs is where it is because the Aztecs is often replayed. It's gotten some big um, replays on just regular television and or more or less basic cable in the United States on BBC America. Um, uh, so, you know, do I understand why it's where it is? Yes. I do not like the Aztecs. I don't like the, the storyline. The the basic conceit of it obviously makes no sense. It's not what later came to be true. This notion that, you know, you can't change history, not one line. That is clearly not what the lesson of Doctor Who is. You can change history. That doesn't even stick around to the next season. Uh, and, and not only that, but there's the major, massive codicil to that 
of you can't change history not one line unless you're not on Earth, in which case you can change whatever the hell you want to. Um, just uh, it makes no real sense. I'm glad it, the, the thing that saves it, of course, is um, performances which are good when when judged against other performances in the 1960s. I think some of them are really over the top when judged against modern standards. Uh, but luckily, you know. Jacqueline Hill is was herself a very forward-thinking actor, um, and so her performance manages to be subtle and modern in its approach, and therefore her acting against Hartnell turns out to be really good. But you know the villains in this are very theatrical, very over the top, so you have to view it in terms of it, uh, you know, in terms of the 1960s. Um, but I still think if if the Marco Polo survived, there's no way that Aztecs would be viewed with quite as much favor as it is in this poll. Um, so I, I would tend to switch the place of... Uh, actually, me, I would put Aztecs way lower. I would put it below 50%. I've never understood, really, uh, fandom's appreciation for it. I think it's just because it is basically the only historical which survives in its entirety. Is that because um, it's a good companion one. I mean, Ian and Barbara have quite a lot to do in this one. Uh, um, I, I mean, I, yeah, I guess. You, I get, I, you, you get Ian fighting and her using her knowledge of history. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but then there's a lot of stuff, uh, certainly from a feminist perspective, it's a horrible episode. I mean, there's that whole thing that um, Susan has to go through that uh, what I forget what the name of the book is that she's given, but it's basically how to be a subservient wife, more or Duty, less. That's yeah, the title. duties of a wife or something. Duties yeah. of a wife. Yeah, it's just ridiculously offensive from a modern standpoint. Um, and you know, at least you see the character chafing against that a little bit, but still, she doesn't chafe against it enough. You know, you, what would be funny is if it were done with Donna. And you know, somebody said to Donna, "Here are the duties of a wife," and to see what she would react to that—that that would be fabulous. Uh, but you know, Susan doesn't really do that much against it, so it, it comes across as, you know, basically her not wanting to be a good student rather than being actually offended by the lesson that's trying to be taught. Um, so ugh, there, there are a lot of things about it. The only thing that's really good about it is the Barbara-Doctor interaction. And yet, what's wrong with it is that they're on the wrong sides of the argument. I mean, really, it should be that the Doctor is saying, uh, is actively wanting to change history because he's the rebel, right? And he's the one that ran away from Time Lord society. So he should be the one that's saying, oh, yeah, we can change things. And then Barbara, as the history teacher, is saying, no, you can't because you're going to screw up my planet's history, Right, and instead it's the complete opposite. Instead, you get this, you know, liberal 1960s teacher being offended by you know the mores of the Aztec Empire, and for her trying to change things, even though she studied, you know, and apparently somewhat of an expert on the Aztec Empire, and she wants to change it. It it, it doesn't make any sense when you really look at it. Uh, and I think a lot of the popularity of the thing comes from the fact that uh, it is, again, the only real example of a historical that we have in full. And it's not as boring as, say, the parts of the Reign of Terror, you know, that we have. Uh, so you get a sense that it must be a kind of good story. And there are enough little moments in it, like, you know, the doctor falling in love because he gave somebody some hot chocolate. You know, there's some little moments in it that are kind of cool 
the very end of it where the doctor is going to leave behind the keepsake from Kameka, but decides instead at the last moment to turn around and pick it up so that you see actually he does have emotions, you know, so it's a change in his character as we go through season one. There are things about it that are cool, but the central conceit, I think, is just really off base. Um, so I would not put it anywhere in this range at all. I think it is... I've never understood fandom's love of that story whatsoever. But anyway, um, good stuff that's going on largely in this section in terms of things that are improving, um, the things that I, I obviously object to, seriously object to. Survival and ghost light, really? This high? Really? Uh, especially ghost light. I mean, ghost light, anybody puts ghost light this high is light that they understand what it's about or they're saying, or they're putting knowledge into it that they got from reading the novelization or that later they came to understand because, you know, there's a, there's a piece on the ghost light DVD where the author tries to desperately explain what was going on with the story. If you're just judging ghost light on what was on the air and you rate it this high, I just, I can't understand how that's possible because there's not enough on screen to understand what Ghost Light was about. There's really not. Is it so Ace, I, in, Ace in a dinner jacket or a dinner suit that they're like? I, I, that can't be enough. I refuse to believe that that is enough for people to judge it this highly. I mean, it on the basis of the evidence that's on screen in the original thing, it, no, I mean there is no. It is a failed story because it simply and utterly fails to go from plot point A to plot point B to result C to conclusion D. It does not tell a story that makes any coherent sense whatsoever. And so, how could it possibly be? It should be last. It really should be last. Um, it, it is worse than than time in the Ronnie because at least time in the Ronnie actually does have a plot. You may not like the plot. You may not you know, think it's the greatest thing. You may not like the execution. You may not like Sylvester McCoy's performance. You may not like a lot of things about it. But the one thing you can't really fault it for is you know, proposing a, a plot point and carrying that plot point through a succession of different events until you get to the climax of the story and then the denouement. I mean, it's got, it's got a structure that makes sense. Ghostlight never gives you enough information in order to possibly put it this high. Uh, so whatever. Survival, I, you know, should it be this high? No. At least, though, you can kind of say there's something going on in terms of the plot that you can kind of take away. Um, I, th I think the acting is just horrendous in a lot of places. Uh, but whatever. It's It's got something going on and I suppose people, you know, look at it fondly because, you know, it was the last episode of Doctor Shoes, so therefore they saw the ending a lot, and they, they formed an opinion, and they, um, you know, carried the, that last little Andrew Cartmel-written denouement around in their hearts for years and years and years, and maybe they just can't divorce themselves from the kind of mediocre performance of, you know, what's going on. And, you know, you got the the dangling plot thread of what in the world happened to the master after that? You know, he's turned into a cat person and then what happens? How does he then become, uh, you know, 
the uh, the master that you see in the TV movie or the master that's later on, the fact that no writer decided to tie up that loose end means that it wasn't a very good thing, really. I mean, I, well, it means that and there was too much time that had passed by in order to pick up that thread. But, I mean, when you're watching the episodes now concurrently, um, it's really hard to go from survival to Doctor Who the TV movie and see the same villain in both of those and think, what the hell happened? I mean, it, it's it's such a weird thing to do to the Masters, to turn him into feral beast. But again, this is what Anthony Ainley's Master was and why that Master makes no sense. Throughout the 80s, it's always one plan after another that really just doesn't make any damn sense. You know? It, it, it's, it's crazy. Uh, so, I don't... I don't know why survival is that high, but the rest of it, I think, kind of makes some sense or shows some good progress or, uh, you know, has something interesting to look at. Um, but for me in this grouping, definitely survival goes much lower. Definitely Angels Take Manhattan. Um, I, To me, even though I, I would probably put Snowmen a little bit lower than where it is because... Um, uh, that is kind of doesn't make any sense at the end either. Um, I, I don't. I never did really understand what Moffat was particularly up to in terms of the great intelligence. So who knows? But you know, other things kind of good in this area. But it's 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 a weird mix. This particular twenty. Okay. And thank you for that analysis. That's great. Um, Ian's just having some... If you've noticed Ian jumping about, he's got a massive thunderstorm in his area. I hope the audio didn't cut out. It didn't cut out for me at all. I, but I have a slight concern. It might have just cut out for... Not all of that, for, but just perhaps a few seconds as he's bobbed in and out. And uh, just for those people listening, uh, I'm not ignoring the other people in the room. Uh, Rick Walls had to drop off audio. Thank you, Tattered Flag, for being with us. And Jeff has got some background noise. It is. So I'll go next, and then um, hopefully Ian can come in. There is a possibility with the way things are going with Ian's, uh, whether he's, he's got a way of messaging me during the show. That's why I know that even though you're not seeing stuff in the room. Uh, we may possibly end at the end of this section and stop at 60, uh, but we'll see how long I go and then how long Ian is when he comes in on audio. He's just battling a little bit at the moment. He's battling for survival. Um, yeah, uh, I, I quite like survival, although I found it was a little bit... This isn't Perivale or whatever it is. Um, um, no, I quite liked it. I mean, there was this sense, uh, and I think one of the things that Jeff would say... Um, um, if he was uh, able to speak at the moment, is that um, one of the things he likes about the Seventh Doctor is this relationship with Ace and you know the Doctor and his companion, and, I, and that's one of the things that elevates um, you know their their tenure in the ranks for me. I'm not particularly a very strong Seventh Doctor fan, but I am a fan of the Seventh Doctor and Ace. For whatever reason, maybe it's just a question of it's more a two two hander with them that works. What he perhaps lacks in gravitas, I like this not so much at the beginning when she was uh, you know the little spoiled brat, but I I, I thought her character grew somewhat. Uh, but let me move on 
time meddler. That's one I've got a real affection with. Um, um, I really did like that story when it first came out. It doesn't really stand up as as well now as I've seen it, but um, the the comic actor who plays the time meddler, and I'd love, by the way, to see the time meddler come back to New Who. That's um, one one of the uh, ones I'd love to see coming back. Um, what else? Rose? Well, I mean, we've got to mention Rose, haven't we? I mean, without Rose, we don't have do- a new series of Doctor. If that had been a failure, uh, I'm surprised that Rose isn't higher, because if if, if that hadn't been a success, uh, really, we certainly wouldn't have had good heavens. It came back in 2005. Here we are at 2014, nine years later, and it's still, despite some people's wobbles at certain times, and even my not liking all the fairy tale aspects of some stories uh, is good. Uh, Fires of Pompeii, that's fair enough. Revelation of the Daleks, Fury of the Deep, The Snowmen, fine. Angel Takes Manhattan, uh, not too sure about that. Father's Day, I like Father's Day. Um, uh, I like that. Big fan of Carnival of Monsters, and he has just confirmed to me that we're going to have to stop when the guys on audio have covered this up to 60 so we will have to stop at 60 i think um kinder logophilus i'm going to leave because uh you've mentioned that it, enough and the aztecs well I, it's one of the more recent ones i've got on dvd one of the ones we talked about with uh, louis trapani on Podshock, um and although it's you know it jumps about a bit and the the doctor's a bit funny and a bit wily and a bit you know uh, befriends that lady just to get access to the the secret tunnel and so on. I think Barbara and Ian Chesterton uh, come out uh, well in that episode. But I noticed that Mike's come on audio. Hopefully, uh, Jeff will be able to speak in a bit. And Ian is battling things. But um, Mike, I don't want to say now you're back on audio. Uh, We can hear you, yeah. Yay! (laughs) Yeah. are you, are you all right for 10 minutes or so and we, we get everybody's thoughts on this grouping? Okay, uh, Mike, thanks for coming back on audio. Is there a particular one you want to talk about or what? Are you happy to co- go through this section? No, oh, just uh, there's, of course, the recent one. Well, which, sec- which section are we on right now? Which numbers? Uh, we've just done it up from, uh, up from 80 to 61. 80 to 61. Okay, go on. Um, well, that's uh, really. I just finished my bit. Do you want just time to settle in, and we'll have we'll hear Ian first, so you can just check that list. Yeah. So I'm we're we're going from ghost go, ghost light up to the Aztecs. Quick question here is: Have we at any point mentioned the end of the world? Because we mentioned Rose, and you know how we wouldn't have the new series came back. But I'm remembering how. Uh, the Sci-Fi Channel, when they premiered the, the new series, they did a, a double billing of Rose and The End of the World. They showed those episodes on the same night. One oh, no, I didn't realize. No, no, we haven't got commented on that. Not in that. Not in the sense you're saying it, in terms of its importance that way, no. Well, of course, what, okay. I, what I was also asking in chat is, has, well, uh, well, uh, just looking over this, this section right here, uh, of course, Rose you know, brought the show back 
to us. Um, the Angels take Manhattan at number 67, as Darth mentioned there. Of course, yeah, I'm not really. The, the way that resolved, the way that ended the Pond story arc was just dumb. It was just pointless. It made no sense. There's no reason that should have been the end of the of the, of, of the Pond, other than, hey, we just Let's let's move on. We have this other companion moving in, who's less interesting than Amy. But uh, right, right. sorry, it's my fault. I did, I should have checked. That. I have been doing quite a lot of work with Ian in the background. So let me just read very quickly without numbers. Going up from eighty to sixty-one, just very quickly for you. Ghostlight survival, uh, hundred thousand BC, i.e. the earth, an unearthly child, the time meddler, the mind of evil, enlightenment, stones of blood. The Mind Robber, Rose, Fires of Pompeii, Revelation of the Daleks, Fury from the Deep, The Snowmen, Angels Take Manhattan, Father's Day, Day of the Daleks, uh, Carnival of Monsters, uh, Kinder, Legopolis, and um, Aztecs. Yeah, that's all that I really see. So coming on here, of course, Aztecs, of course, was also uh, back in, well, last year, was, was shown BBC America, of course, that's what we did our commentaries on there. Uh, they showed a story for each doctor, and that was what BBC America chose for the, for the Hartnell, for Boyne Hartnell. Uh, so it has, it, has, it has had a resurgence there with BBC America's re-airing of it. Okay. I thought you were asking for the text, right? No. Okay. I was just a quicker way of searching through the list for end of the world. Um, but yeah, uh, just Fires of Pompeii was... It's just interesting that Fires of Pompeii is on this list. It, of course, it fell from 56 to 71, but uh, it featured Peter Capaldi and a brief cameo appearance from... Uh, from future companion Karen, uh, Karen Gillan, brief cameo. Oh, of course, yes, as one of the acolytes, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm being messaged over here in Skype, so. Okay, right, Ian, do you want to come on? Uh, we've we've not got. Uh, I'm waiting to see if Jeff can come back on audio, and Rick Wall has dropped out. So basically, it's just you and maybe Jeff, um, and I think we'll have to call it a halt at sixty. Um, as I was saying before, wrongly so, <laughs> goes line survival. Um, I'm not really happy with her at. I understand what they're saying. I still kind of enjoy ghost light. I don't pretend to understand it, but I still kind of enjoy it. However right or wrong that is. <laughs> Me we're talking about. Um, let's see. Uh, Angels take Manhattan... Um, yeah, I have to agree. That's, that's just pointless. Oh, yeah, they're they're stuck in New York in a certain time zone I can never access. Bollocks. Oh, sorry, what? <laughs> um, it's just it's just lazy storytelling. Oh, I, I don't want to kill off these companions, but I don't want them to have a normal life, so... Oh, I know. I'll stick them in the past, and nobody can go and get them. Yeah, okay. I can never send them a letter and tell them to leave New York and meet up with me outside the environs of New York. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've seen the additional scene that they were going to put on there. 
at least that would have been kind of cool. There was a scene where um, um, one of their, I guess their, they adopted a child, and that child's like um, son shows up with a letter at the door, kind of like um, blink, and they sit there and they chat and talk about stuff. I'm like, that would have been kind of cool and a nice way to finish it off. But no, you just got rid of that too. So, yeah, the heck with it. Kinda, Kinda and Snake Dance both scared out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> So I don't even know where to place them because I suppose it's doing its job. It does that, but uh, was it Martin? Yeah. Was it Martin Clunes ears that frightened you? It's something like that. Yeah, <laughs> he's pretty good. He was damn good, and he, him and and Janet Fielding, anybody possessed by them snake was just <laughs> talk about hiding behind the couch. That was me with with Kinder and Snake Dance. Oi. um. As far as the home play, pay, I'm I'm perfectly happy with where that is. Pop mm. Karen Gillan. Uh, <laughs> I'm terrible. Although it 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 ended up being there right there with Rose, but then again, it's not Rose is not a strong story in my mind, but it's the first. Um, yeah, that's the point. You know, yeah. it's it's you know it's very convenient that the that they've got you know anti he's carrying around anti plastic. Um, and it's just all you need to do is drop the file in, and 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 that's it. Um, it's, but it has to be. It can't be too heavy because it's the first story. It's a way of bringing everybody back in. Um, so I think its positioning is is you know kind of like you know Legopolis. I'm happy with Legopolis where it is. Is it a strong story? No. Um, there's just too much you know um, unexplained crud in there. Um, but I'm fond of it, so the positioning's fine by me. You know, it's one of those things where an attachment makes makes things right. Um, the Aztecs, I've actually seen that. I've seen the Aztecs. I can actually comment on that. It's not a bad story. I don't know if it's you know number you know sixty one, but um, there's some neat stuff in there. Um, and not being all that familiar with you know. Um, First Doctor stuff. It was, it was a, a a good watch, you know. And for me, you know, being unfamiliar with the First Doctor's era, and you know, not having watched an awful lot of the episodes, it was it was so I was quite pleasantly surprised that I I enjoyed it. I wasn't expecting to, but I did. Um, no stoning me, don't stone me. Um, The snowman shouldn't be where it is because it's, although it's a, a, a you know a, a proper appearance of Clara as opposed to a Dalek appearance of Clara, um, it's I know it's still, still it's too much on there that's unexplained and and just doesn't make that much sense. But then again, it's the Moffat era. What do you want? You know, there's a, a, a huge, huge shortage of explanations of everything. Um, so I think that's about it for me. Um, it, you know, there's some things I just, you know, just wouldn't include that high. Some things I think are, are just right. You know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy with Logopolis. Logopolis is good. <laughs> right there. Except for the falling. Yeah. 
I don't, I, I don't think I bought the falling um, when I was a kid. Just, he just let go. I mean, David mm. Tennant jumped out of a moving spaceship, uh, plummeted to the Earth, well, a lot greater distance, um, fell through a window, then landed on the ground, and was fine. Tom Baker falls from a dish, and that's it. He's dead. Yeah. So, looking back on it, it's just, <laughs> it, it gets worse, <laughs> you know. I suppose it was in a way because he actually falls on a grassy field, doesn't he? He doesn't actually fall into concrete or anything. No, it's just on a you know, nice, nice soft patch of grass. He's got that big bulky coat on too. That's going to break his fall. <laughs> Terrible. Right, but that's that's it for me. Yeah, I think I think oh. we're going to have to wrap up. Oh, go on, Darth. No, I was going to say, how, keep it brief. Where were, I, I never did really understand how the scarf stays with him. So that Davison can later unravel it. I don't, because he was hanging by the scarf, right? And then he has it on the ground. Did he? Or am I wrong? He he tied it. To, didn't he tie it to trip the master? And then he's actually when he's hanging, he hangs from the. Oh, I don't know. I'm gonna have to watch it now. Something doesn't make sense. I know that. Right. He does use the the scarf to trap to trip the master. How he ends up with the scarf on the ground really doesn't make any sense, I don't think. It's one of those things, too, where, you know, because it's because Castrovalli is not produced after Legopolis, there are a lot of continuity errors, and especially in terms of the, the costuming. And, of course, we know famously Peter Davison has a completely different kind of shoe on than, uh, than Tom Baker did. But I think the bigger error is really the scarf. How he right. ends up with it, it doesn't make any sense. Okay, we have juices to check that out before next week, guys. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, I think we're going to have to to, to end. We've, uh, for those people listening to the recording, we've had some weather conditions affecting uh, Ian, who's running the room, and it's uh, thrown a few wobbles in during the course of the thing. But um, uh, I think we've done a tremendous job getting through there. It means next week, uh, hopefully third and final part on this Dot Two magazine list uh, from uh, the magazine issue 474. Please do out, go out and buy it. Um, we will have 60 to cover next week, but we're, we've done um, we've done quite a number today, so hopefully that is achievable. And uh, I think Ian, you'll need to take us out now. I think while we while we still can before another thunderstorm hits you. Unfortunately, Jeff is uh, as yet still unavailable. Uh, he's got all the background noise where he's at, so uh, we may we may catch up with uh, his thoughts uh, next weekend. So, um, don't leave me to say uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, sorry about all the uh, technical difficulties and me being uh, unavailable at certain times, but uh, these things happen. All right. Uh, so until next week, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. And it's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Goodbye, everybody.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.